Dark Shadows Literary Licensed Podcast Episodes. Ben Stokes here, exploring all things Collinsport, Maine, and following the likes of the Collins family, and the friends and foes, with your co-hosts, Tom Diamond, Jesse Fultz, Mickey Ray, and Keith Chalgo, Collins family, story about blood relations, literally. Welcome to the Your License Podcast. This is Dark Shadows episode today, and we're discussing episode 615 to 636. And today we'll be starting our new format, which will be taking over for season five, which starts next month. So let's begin about who's with us, starting with our special guest, David Thayer, or right? <laughs> David Thayer's nephew, Jonathan Vincent's with us. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, sir. Hi, Jonathan. And of course, we have our regular co host, which is Vicki Ray. Hello, Hello everybody. Tom Diamond. That's me. Good, 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 and Jesse everybody. Fultz. Hey, everybody. How's it going? So, so before we get started, let's um, get to know Jonathan Vincent a little bit more and talk about his memories with his uncle, Thayer David. So, Jonathan, you're um, Thayer David's nephew. So do you, how, what early memories do you have of um, visiting him while he was doing Dark Shadows? Well, um he was a, you know, like, ironically, I think like a lot of actors are, he was a very insular person in real life. So he would come back to Massachusetts to my grandmother, his mother's home and um, kind of remain kind of reclusive, sort of like a, a way of centering himself or whatever. Uh, he used to smoke uh, an ivory pipe, and he liked a nip of brandy after supper. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. No, absolutely not. I, I, I like bourbon, but I'll take brandy. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, but he, uh, I was always very like excited when. Well, one of the things he told me about acting and, and, and so forth was that he always wanted to be the, he was like, it's much more interesting to be the bad guy. You know, he, he liked to play the villain um, as opposed to, you know, these other like more flashy folks who want to be the, the hero of the story. He always liked to be the bad guy and get kind of beaten down at the end. And um, my grandmother was a huge, his mother was a huge fan of Nero Wolf, these, these novels that were as big as the Bible. And, um, and then he got offered Nero Wolf, and he'd done Rocky and the Iger Sanction. And, oh, and yeah, I remember Rocky. A journey to the center. Oh, he's the one that wanted to eat the duck. I remember that. Yeah, he was kind of like the duck. <laughs> just like, no, don't eat the duck. <laughs> but he he liked those roles because he I think he felt like, forgive the pun or metaphor or whatever. He uh, he liked to sink his teeth into those parts. My favorite roles that he played were when he was more the sort of Van Helsing character. 
Yeah. You know, the sort of like, hmm, what are you up to, Barnabas? Professor I Stokes. think that was their point, wasn't it? Yeah, being like a Van Helsing. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, he went from being groundskeeper Willie or something, you know, like Matthew Morgan. Matthew Morgan was the first character yeah, when he, he was, was groundskeeper. Kind of the big. Yeah, he got killed off. He got killed off. That character was killed off. And then he came back. I, I know I Dark Shadows had an amazing ability to bring people back. That's right. Never... That's life on TV. They kill you off and you show up somewhere else or as another character or on another show and they'll kill you on that one. <laughs> and you really made, and you know, you really made in soap opera history if you come back as a twin brother. So- That's right. There's <laughs> always a twin brother. Or, yeah. An, an evil robot version of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and I really like, you know, I've, I've explained this a little bit earlier when we were chatting beforehand. You know, I was very young at the time, so you'll have to forgive my overall knowledge of Dark Shadows is somewhat limited. Um, not that I didn't love it. I, you know, something David and I both shared is um, the love of the gothic, you know, or the uh, that kind of thing. But um, it, it just wasn't that easy to watch when I was old enough to kind of understand what was going on on it. And then it was only in syndication briefly. So um, I am by no means an expert on the show, but I can afford personal insights into that. Well, uh, he, of course, you know, my favorite character was Ben. And in this particular block, there was one episode where, and we'll, we'll, of course, be talking about that, but where the entire cast goes back to 1795 for a day. And uh, some really nice scenes between him and Louis Edmonds as Joshua. And, Mr. Barnabas, where are you? You know, that kind of thing. And that's my, that's my little homage to your uncle. Uh, it's one of my favorite voiceovers. And uh, he's... Uh, but um, a tremendous, a, a trem- he had a tremendous range, uh, and uh, and you have, and, and you interestingly enough, so and I know you would, you, you know, you would want to break, but I'm very impressed. You you work at Harvard School for Public Health, and you're a uh, professor there, uh, assistant or whatever, and that's uh, why you're going for your doctorate. I think that's great. That's great. You took after you took after your uncle's professor character. COVID has kind of set us back a little bit in terms of my academic track, but um, and Harvard again it is it's sort of a challenging place to be because everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of the folks who are successful there are. I'm talking more about students, I think, than faculty, but they're uh, a little self-important. Do I dare say that on a podcast? I don't know. Say anything on our podcast. We have very limited filters here. <laughs> yes, we're very well known. Um, Chris Pennock, may rest in peace, who was uh, Jeb and John Yeager and Gabriel Collins. Uh, and I did an interview with him uh, a year or two ago. And uh, there were more four or five and seven letter words in that interview than in the entire, and then my entire career on the podcast. 
but but not with saying, you know, and you're also a Star Trek fan, which is great. And, uh, you know, I was telling you I went to the first convention. And, uh, but, uh, but, but this is a, a Dark Shadows thing. Um, he, um, he was, uh, well, you said, he, you, you said he was insular uh, in, in, but you, would you and he have, Heart to hearts at one point in time when you were very young, uh, because it sounds to me like you had that kind of relationship with him. Yeah, I, I found it be quite a kindred spirit. In fact, when I was younger, I thought, um, yeah, I wanted to follow in his footsteps. But I am a really atrocious actor, so I, <laughs> you know, I tried, but I, I, um, I couldn't. Uh, do you have any brothers? Or, well, I know it's just his sister. Is your, his sister was your mom. Uh, do you have any other uh, brothers, sisters, or anything like that? Yeah, I have uh, four older sisters. Four Ooh. other sisters. You're the only boy. Uh, well, I have a little brother too, but from a different mom, so he's not related to. To so say you must be in touch with your feminine side. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna. I was gonna touch on this a little bit. I. You know, it was whatever, you know, lifestyle David pursued in Manhattan. He was, you know, and he was married to this uh, B science fiction movie star, lovely British woman named Valerie French. He, um, he certainly was not in any way discriminatory about alternative lifestyles. You know, he... <laughs> Well, Fred would be a good example. Like he was, you know, he didn't, he didn't care. Like he liked eccentric people. Craig, you know, when you're talking about, Craig, when you're talking about. Craig oh, and then Fred, of course. Yeah. He was, he was very dear friends with Fred Gwynn, Herman Munster and that, um, and many other great roles, but he, uh, Alexander Moki um, did an interview for um, Dark Shadows. Um, and she said that basically she loved working with Thayer David, though he was very, very alone on the set because he would like live, kind of live his character. So basically his character for the other characters on Dark Shadows is what she states is that it would depend on outside, outside of shooting how, how he would get along with them. So if he, so if his character was very, very close to the characters, like, for instance, Jonathan Frid and Dr. Julia Hoffman, for instance, then basically they would hang together. But if something happens and that and then he changed characters and that they were no longer friends on in the script, like we will see later on in the 1897, mm-hmm. that then he then he would pull away from them. And that's the way that he would do his characters. Because she said that the first scenes that she did with him basically was is that um you know, he was very weary of her and her position because he was because he's protecting the Collins family. So he didn't. So when he was first on the show, he didn't have anything to do with her. But then when he came back as Professor Stokes, they had a different kind of relationship again. And she said that that she found that his way of acting was a marvel to watch and to study. And that, um, that's that's a great thing to hear. You know, when when he was doing Rocky, which was sort of his one of his breakouts into mainstream cinema, he became that sort of creepy fight promoter guy, 
you know, for a few months. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. suited the role perfectly. He was so great. was he like a method actor or um yeah, so, we, so you lived the role as the method actor, which yeah. considering in nineteen you know, well, Dark Shadows started in what, nineteen sixty six, the method yeah. acting was kind of like out on the fringes as it's starting to make its coming coming into like that cinema that would change the face of the world, which would happen in the seventies. So I guess you could say that he was kind of the you know, one of the first people to start using method actors, especially, you know, in a daytime soap opera as well, or daytime dramas that you like to be called when you're in the industry. I suppose it was on Broadway or something, but he was Leonard Nimoy. And Tom and I, I don't know about the rest of you folks, but um, he was um, he was a stand-in for Leonard Nimoy as Sherlock Holmes. Okay, and- okay. And he had his own, because he was sort of corpulent, is that the right one? He yep. was kind of a big guy. He had a custom-tailored Sherlock Holmes, you know, that mm-hmm. overcoat he was always wearing. And that that was always in his closet. Like, they let him keep it, which is somewhat unusual. And um, I was always like, that was like the bridge between... Uh, my uncle David and uh, Star Trek because he was he was buddies with Nimoy. Right? <laughs> That's they interesting. Were both, they were both kind of crazy, I think. So, like in a good way, you know. So, did he used to keep um, different from different roles and stuff like this? Glenn Close um, is known worldwide that for every role that she has, she always takes one thing away from everything that she's ever acted in, whether it's the nurse's outfit from what uh, world according to Garb all the way through to like that horrible dress she wears in Fatal Attraction up until like, you know, the spectacle she wore when she played a man in um, one of her later films. Did he keep like little artifacts of um, things that when he acted just the room, you know, keepsakes yeah. of little characters that he played? Some of them I actually have. He, um, he did like in those days. It's a little different now with um, litigiousness in Hollywood and unions and all the sort of th- things. But um, he he would try to like take a souvenir or two or whatever from projects. You know whether whether it be a cribbage board from Dark Shadows or Sherlock Holmes's coat. I wonder what happened to that coat. <laughs> well, he did a lot of different parts on uh, TV shows like Charlie's Angels and things like that. He did a lot of TV, did he not? After the he, fact? He did, and it was really exciting to me to um, to to see his obituary wasn't exciting to me, but when I saw the list of things that he'd done, I was like, Oh my goodness. He's got quite the resume. I was just reading IMDB to see if I hadn't missed anything, but he's got quite a resume. Well-respected man, for sure. I was very excited when he was on and the, the show was not probably the best show ever made, but um, he played, he always played an evil hypnotist for some reason on these um, guests villain roles and he was on spider-man yeah and um and he he would be home and he'd be like oh, i can't stand this sort of thing you know he spoke in this sort of mid-atlantic sort of british accent and in real life and um but you know if you watch that episode 
he's right there. You know, he's doing his absolute best. Like he took his work very seriously, I think. And put it and like all good character actors or method actors do, he, he put a lot of himself into his work. I may be wrong, but was he on Wild Wild West or something? Yeah, yeah, he played the reoccurring um, <laughs> an atomic powered wheelchair in the ancient West. He <laughs> the evil Cortez. Oh, okay, good. Who good. I think lived in a volcano or something. It was very strange, but he played that with a plum. You know, it was he was fantastic in that role, and yeah. people probably thought it was kind of silly, but he he never acted that way. You know, he never like. He never phoned in a part. How's that? Uh-huh. Is that? Is that a good way to say that? Is and that- a tremendous voiceover, another voiceover story. He did a lot uh, back then. And you and I were talking, that was his real bread and butter, uh, from what I understand. He, he um, I, I sort of jokingly blamed him for killing my father because he, uh, he was the Terryton cigarette. Oh, I remember those, yeah. Oh, wow. I oh, need a new Teriton cigarette. You know, you'd say it's kind of like that. And those were chic back in the day. Everybody smoked like chimneys because they didn't know <laughs> yeah. any better, I guess. Well, my father smoked like a cart in a day. So I was like, you killed Unk. We, we call, oh, by the way, we called him Unk within um, our Unk, UNK. Huh. Um, I mean, but, for some of our younger fans, um, Cigarette smoking was such a big thing and was such a big thing for advertising dollars back yeah. in the day. That even the Flintstones and the Jetsons used to sell cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Give me a fine story about the whole cigarette culture back in the 60s. The world has definitely changed. And they used to drink actual alcohol on the set. So there was really actual alcohol and, you know, Roger's bourbon thing too. So. And the medical shows, <laughs> Ben Casey and Dr. Kildare, they ben were right with. Casey. They were rife with uh, doctors smoking cigarettes. Oh, God, uh, I remember vaguely smoking, and not me, but my friend was up, he was in the hospital for pneumonia. This is like 79, smoking cigarettes in the hospital, while on oxygen, I might add. Mm. That was Mercy Hospital, Keith, so you remember. Well, I could tell you that when I first um, started doing medicine is that some of the doctors would actually smoke when they were seeing the patients. Yes, I remember right. Dr. Well, Batista used to do that. Oh, yeah. God. I, I was um, I was at this long tedious meeting at Dana Farber, which is probably like the best cancer hospital in the probably in the world, and um, we were you know on our lunch break, and I was looking out the window, and all the docs would come out in their white coats, and they'd go around the side of the dumpster by the side of the building, <laughs> they'd all start smoking, and I know this is off topic, but I. It's, just to uh, well, more like people Italy. smoke in the medical profession than any other profession in the world. Well, I, I have to tell you, it's nerve wracking. So, if a cigarette soothes you, while we're telling you not to smoke, then after after you leave, we're out there having a puff. <laughs> yeah. so, that's yeah. like Italy. I never seen so many people smoking cigarettes in my entire life. I'm surprised the whole of the country is not dying just yet because I've never seen that many in Spain too. Just, you know, they smoke like crazy. Yeah. Were you ever able to see um, Thayer David on stage? Because to be honest, um, I don't know if many of our fans know, but Thayer Davis was a fantastic 
Assassin's Shakespearean actor. Yeah. I mean, Taming yeah. of the Shrew, King Lear, Uncle Vanya, Oscar Wilde, St. Joan. And he was actually the originator of um, one of the roles on Broadway for Breakfast at Tiffany's as well. Yeah. As part of Rusty. I saw him in um, King Lear with Ian McKellen. Oh, yeah. And, um, it was funny just uh, a few days ago, like I'd, I'd heard from you folks and a couple other people wanted me to contribute to their um, reminiscences about Dark Shadows. And, um, and then like a day later, Ian McClellan himself, like Facebook friends me. <laughs> I was like, you can absolutely be my Facebook friend, my friend. <laughs> they, apparently they were quite close. So now when I mentioned Breakfast at Tiffany's from 1966, um, I guess I should mention that it's, um, it's the musical version of it. So how did he deal with actually singing on stage? <laughs> I don't recall. There's got to be video somewhere. Well, the interesting thing about the musical of um, Breakfast at Tiffany's is that it was done by Pulitzer Surprise winning author Edward Elby. That's who wrote the script for the musical version of Breakfast at Tiffany's. Who went on to do Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and so on yep. and so forth. So, I mean, it's safe to say that the show didn't last very long, but um, there probably is a cash recording out there. But I just kind of thought, it's kind of a lot of ways that I vision um, your uncle there, David, you know, Shakespearean actor that fits, um, the evil characters that he played and he relished so lovingly on stage and screen fits. Him singing, so for some reason that kind of escapes me. So, have you ever heard him sing? What was his singing voice like? <laughs> I, I I wish I could say that I had, but I I do not recall. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm certain it was his voice was very baritone, you know. So, um, he, um, yeah, I don't know. He had a a great passion for. Despite the fact that he spoke in a British accent, he had a, um, a a real kind of passion for Southern American Gothic writers like Flannery O'Connor and so forth. Um, so, yeah, his interests were varied and... I don't remember him ever singing. But, and I, I think we're going to have to, I think we're going to have to hunt that soundtrack down. I'm looking right now. I did it. find out that he did the crucible also and a man for all seasons, which I did not know. Mm-hmm. He did little man Tate too. Is that the right name? Um, yeah. Little man Tate. Yeah. That was, um, that's a Neil Simon musical. Wasn't yep. it? Neil Simon wrote the, um, the script for that. Evil creature. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But again, in the pre-show conversation we had, he, uh, you know, he he loved to play the sort of bad guy. He thought it was more interesting. So, yeah, and but I don't understand. I mean, there a lot of a lot of actors, whether you're Vincent Price or um, Christopher Lee, even Victoria Winter, they, you know, she said that you know one of the reasons why she did leave the show um, outside of her falling pregnant of course is that she wanted to play the evil character because they are the most fun right and when you, you know even when you talk to laura parker today and you know she loved the part of angelique because it was such an evil a diverse character and i also find that the goody goody characters whether the hero or the heroine or the ingenue are quite boring 
characters they're all very kind of surface but the deep the darker characters are the ones that have the more deeper darker souls and the more interesting backstories and and stuff like that so i can understand why he would thrive on those kind of evil roles and thayer david was lucky also in that he got to play in addition to the evil characters he got to play professor stokes who was the academic that wanted to do good but admitted to being a bachelor who knew very little about women and so when adam had these little scenes with him he you know Adam was saying tell me about love he was like yeah <laughs> like I wouldn't know about that. Yeah, that exactly. Exactly. Uh, he was a fish out of water. Uh, and, but yet, so he did Ben, who was the uh, with the who the, the petty thief background, who turned into the uh, the loyal servant of Barnabas, and. And of course, the evil ones. And so he got a chance to play all three. He was very, very fortunate, I think. Uh, he was a true character actor. And uh, Alexander Mulkey, I think, was, uh, and, and the funny thing was, I mean, I, I'm friends with Roger Davis, and we were talking the other day, and he's looking at some of the episodes now, and he was saying that he even thought that uh, Alexander Mulkey was kind of losing it towards the end. Because I think, you know, she was pregnant and she wanted to off the show because she was dissatisfied. And so she kind of walked through the role. Uh, but Thayer David was there till the very last. And I was even telling John about the fact the very last episode, Thayer does the last voiceover. Uh, and that was because they originally wanted that for Jonathan Frid. But that had a, that had a little stick, and I don't want to get too far ahead, there was a threat of a vampire. It turned out it wasn't a vampire at all. It was a real animal. Uh, and uh, Fred didn't want to do it because he thought it was, they wanted him to do it, but he didn't want to do it because he thought it was too, it was a cheap ending. Uh, they called your uncle up and he did the voiceover. And so he remains the last voice you'll, uh, in the last episode of Dark Shadows. He remains that. That, that, I think that's really amazing. And, you know, the one thing I can say about his professional career is that he took all of these roles very seriously. And I believe it took its toll on him. And, you know, not that it looks so wonderful or anything, especially in this horrible lighting, but David was a year younger than me when he died, which is sort of, you know, that's sort of hard for me to process a bit because he always seemed like this older, imposing, very, you know, powerful person. I certainly don't see myself that way. So um, I have to tell you, the fans do not see the video uh, that we are taking currently. But I did make the remark that even though you're you're five five, as you said, and uh, you don't have the physique that he did in the facial expression. I can definitely see a resemblance to him. And, uh, you yeah, know, this is my blood. That's exactly right. That's exactly well, right. I also think that when you um, look at people and you have this vision of what their ages are and stuff like this, for some reason, they always seem a bit older. And, I, you know, this is going to sound a bit weird, but I actually realized that when I was watching the Golden Girls is now on Disney Plus. So I was watching the Golden Girls. Season one, 
um, basically Rose loses her job and she's having difficulty finding a job because she's 56 years old, which is the same age I am. And I'm looking at her thinking, I, I'm only a couple years, just seven years old. <laughs> so I can't wrap my mind around that. The golden girls are, are only in their fifties. They're in their early fifties, early to mid fifties. And in my mind, I always thought they were in their sixties or seventies. I'm watching it now, still thinking that they're in their sixties and seventies. So I guess that's the thing about when your mind looks at someone uh, from a certain point in your life, yeah, and you see how old they are, and then when you get to that age, you're like, oh, I mean, it's like it's kind of hard to process what their age is, and then when you get up to that age, about how you are at that age, I guess. I think on the Golden Girls, if I recall correctly. Um, uh, and I'm going to forget their names. Maude, the, the actress. Ma, uh, B. Arthur. B. Arthur. And her mom. B. Arthur was actually. Yes. Estelle, Estelle, yeah. Estelle get she, uh, I think B. Arthur was actually older than the cat, than the actress who played. That Estelle Getty, yes, she was. She, I think, um, I think Estelle Getty had that Elizabeth. Um, Angela Lansbury thing where Angela Lansbury was always playing people's moms even though she was like a year or two maybe older than them like Elvis Presley she played Elvis Presley's mom in Blue Hawaii and she's only like a year older than, than Elvis <laughs> and, then, and also in um what is it the um Manchurian Candidate where she yeah. played oh, yeah. um, um, Lawrence Harvey's um mother and I think Lawrence Harvey's older than she is <laughs> You, you see, actually, in the flashback, you see in the flashback of the Golden Girls, and that occurs later. I'm not a big fan of the Golden Girls, but I do remember this because so they had some, they had something where they went back to uh, when they were younger, like 20 years earlier or something like that. And so they took all the makeup of Nestel Getty uh, to, to portray her as the young mother, and it was really quite striking. They did some job uh, on her. Uh, regarding that, uh, B. Arthur too was an extent, but Estelle Getty was, and you'll probably see that later on if you're watching it. Uh, I think it was, I, I think it was amazing. I think it was amazing what they did with her. It was really quite attractive, actually. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up this interview. But before we wrap up this interview, before we move on to the main part of our show, what would you like our fans to know most about your uncle, and what's your fondest memory of him? Um. Well. Um, that's a great question, and I, I will get out of your hair um, momentarily. Uh, my favorite aspect of him was he was just so creative in everything he did. Like whether, you know, he, he'd given my sister a Christmas present or a birthday present or something that was like this owl, uh, that uh, you know, a stuffed owl that was... Uh, a medicine man and it had all these jar like he just like thoughtful he was just very like yeah but the the you know in those days you'd get a bionic man doll or something which yeah always fine with me but like he would you know and he knew i liked old cars when i was a kid and he he bought me this like hand carved pine automobile and it's it's not so much his givingness that I'm trying to emphasize. It's the fact that he just like, he put his best into everything, whether it was acting or, you know, being thoughtful about these things. And for kind of a shy, insular person, which I'm not really sure he was shy or insular in Manhattan, but when he came home, 
he was. And, you know, I just kind of loved that, that that would come out and then, and that you could see, uh, he could play all these different characters because there was so much there, you know, he could draw on so many things. So I hope that answers the question. One final question, actually. You said that um, your uncle used to walk to work. So I imagine that he would walk to work and end up in the throngs of these fans that would be hanging outside. Right. How, how, was he, how did he react to the whole fandom of the Dark Shadows? Because I have to sit there and say it's probably one of the most, um, one of these, you know, very passionate fandoms for a show. Um, and they were you know, lovingly standing out front and touching their, you know, touching and seeing and wanting everything to do with these icons that would form their impressionable lives. How did he react to such young fandom and stuff like that? He was never non-blues by it. He sort of, um, I think, A, he went in the back door. B, he wore these sort of round spectacles, kind of <laughs> like Tori. And, and the pipe and the, he always had that. I think it was the Sherlock Holmes hat. Actually, he was always wearing one of those <laughs> scally caps. Mm-hmm. And you know, he for a big guy, I think he just kind of kept a low profile. I don't actually really know. He never complained about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I say, with such a big, you know, because he as we, as we discussed, I mean, he was a very large personality, a very. Um, large large man being as tall and as bulky as he was so i mean it must have been hard for him to like you know fade sneak away (laughs) 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 i mean nancy barrett probably could like just she was like a dormouse he probably just crawled between her and saw her but for him i imagine it's probably pretty hard for him to hide sometimes so he was like like i think a lot of good actors he was actually good at cloaking himself you know so he could I think when he was going to the ABC studio there in the Upper West Side, where what I, I meant to look up the address, but I can't remember. It's hello, everybody. Tom Diamond here, and welcome to the latest installment of Dark Shadows, episodes 615 to 635. The new stars that have appeared in this block, as well as the bloopers. And there are a lot of new stars, as opposed to the prior block, which maybe had one uh, or two, but there are a lot of new people here. So first of all, this is the the, this is the last episode uh, and that's episode 627. The final appearance of Alexandra Mulkey as Victoria Winters, uh, who had been with the show since episode one. And she, is, she left because she was two months pregnant and got out of a five-year contract after some two and a half years and, the, and had a son, by the way, and the name of the son was Adam. I don't know if that had anything to do with the show. But anyway, uh, she was replaced by two uh, actresses uh, before the character of Victoria Winters was written out eventually. And the uh, first one is Betsy Durkin, 
who was with the show for 10 episodes, and she started in episode 630. Uh, Betsy Durkin was born uh, March 11, 1947, in Fort, Fort Benning, Georgia. She starred in Hidden Faces in 1968, uh, and she was also in a movie called Spotless in 2009, and she has been to a couple of the Dark Shadows conventions. And uh, she was chosen because her voice sounded a lot like Alexandra Mulkey's, especially when she screamed. So she put some needed oomph into the role because as... uh, as time went on, uh, Alexandra Mulkey was growing increasingly disenchanted with the role. It's no secret in the fandom. Uh, she felt that she should have been given an evil character to portray like some others, but Dan Curtis felt that she was recognized uh, for the goody two-shoes role of Victoria Winters, and uh, so she was typecast, essentially, in that. Well... Dom Briscoe is brought back, this time as Chris Jennings, the twin brother of Tom Jennings, the vampire. Uh, And uh, there's a little secret about Chris, which we're going to talk about in future episodes. But uh, Don is also brought back as Tom Jennings for a couple of episodes. Nicholas takes the stake out of his heart. And the next episode, he is done away with after he tries attacking Vicky, he's done away with by Barnabas, who uses two candlesticks for a cross and makes him wait for the dawn. And frankly, I wish there had been more episodes uh, between uh, with Don Briscoe as Tom. And uh, as I hinted in the uh, podcast, Tom is down for the count, but he's not out, and you'll see why later. Denise Nickerson makes her first appearance in this block as Amy Jennings, the sister of Tom and Chris. And interestingly enough, at first, the the character was called Molly Jennings. And uh, there are references to her when Joe and Chris Jennings are having a talk while Joe's in the hospital. Uh, they mentioned Molly by name a couple of times, and then all of a sudden, when we meet Denise Nickerson, she's Amy Jennings all of a sudden. Well, here Tom Gorman, who has played the Blue Whale Extra uh, for many episodes, he played the bartender in one of them, gets his claim to fame here in episode 623, when the cast does a one-day flashback to 1795, uh, where Angelique sends Danielle Roger, uh, a.k.a. Eve, uh, to find out, at Eve's request, whatever happened between her and Peter Bradford. Tom Gorman plays the gauler, and he dominates most of the episode. He has a very big speaking role. And let's see what else. Okay, Alfred Sandor... Uh, is the latest incarnation of Sheriff Patterson. And that is on episode 615, I believe. Uh, Yes, indeed, 615. Now, the interesting thing about Alfred Zandor is not so much himself, but his mom. Oh, by the way, his real name was Alfred Sandwina. And his mother was Katya 
uh, Sandwina. Uh, she was also known as uh, Katiana Brumbach. Uh, his mother was one of the most famous circus strong women of her day, and she was able to break chains. She lifted her husband, uh, Alfred Sandow's father, um, over with one arm. He was 165 pounds. Uh, she broke bars. Uh, she was uh, she was quite a character. Uh, so that is Alfred Sandoz's claim to fame. And he wasn't bad in the show either. Now here we get a reprisal of one of the earliest characters of the show for just one day, and that's Conrad Bain coming back as Mr. Wells, the hotel clerk at the Collinsport Inn. It's the only episode that we ever get to see Conrad Bain doing his role in color, because all the rest of those were black and white. Why did they bring him back? Well, he was the first victim of, and I might as well say it here, the werewolf. Chris Jennings is the werewolf, and we're bringing that character now into the show. And the reason they brought him back on was because they needed a heavy, and somebody thought of him, and they said, hey, are you available for a one-shot deal? And he consented. Two extras played nurses on the show. Greta Markson was one nurse, and Betty Ann Ronco was the other. Greta Markson was not too well-known, but she was in Philco TV Playhouse in uh, 1948, and she starred in an episode of The Defenders in 1961. Now, in in this block... We are uh, introduced through Angelique's incantations to the devil, Diabolos, Nicholas's boss. Somewhere I, uh, along the meanderings that I've taken through this fandom, I thought the name of this uh, devil was Balbareth, but he is uh, credited as Diabolos, and it's none other than Dwayne Morris, who also played the monster uh, the monster's body Adam's body before Adam awoke and so they they used Dwayne Morris as an extra uh, during the experiment scenes so now he's got a full-fledged speaking role as Diabolos and he's not bad either Timothy Gordon one of the uh, stock extras uh, Jonathan Trudge double um, Jeremiah and so forth uh, comes back as the minister you can barely see his face in the dream sequence uh, that Roger has regarding Vicky's wedding and James Shannon uh, makes a reappearance as the gowler in the 1795 flashback that we already talked about that Tom Gorman was in and Craig Slocum. Oh, poor Craig Slocum. He is essentially a stock-heavy uh, digging Eve's grave for Nicholas in this, in this episode. But the major addition, really, uh, Don Briscoe uh, is back, and he's going to be back to stay for a while, as we said before. And... Um, Denise Nickerson, who incidentally uh, went on to play 
Violet, Beauregard, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in 1971. That was her main claim to fame. She did get out of acting after a while. She became a nurse. She passed away two or three years ago, unfortunately. Uh, she had a major stroke, uh, and she is survived by uh, two children, I believe, a, do- uh, a daughter and a son. And uh, the daughter has basically kept in touch uh, with the Dark Shadows fandom. Maybe one day we'll have her on board. Okay, so now we come to the bloopers. Hopefully, you will be able to get over looking at Clarice Blackburn, who, uh, by the way, also has a uh, has her Mrs. Johnson role in 615. She's wearing a terrible-looking pink bow tie. Uh, and uh, if you can get over that... I find it interesting. So they do a chroma key of uh, the old house window. uh, And in that particular chroma key where you see a picture of the dawn, you see that the window has 30 squares. I counted them. But then if you get a shot of the old house window the way it looks on the set, there are no squares in that window. Also in this episode, in, in uh, 6.15, uh, they, uh, they cut a scene as uh, Alfred Sandor's Patterson was speaking to Julia, and they kind of picked it up mid-dialogue. And during this episode, don't forget to see a little glimmer of the Klieg light above the old house door. Moving on to episode 6.16, it's interesting that Julia... Uh, did not lock the old house door after she ran out. So it's a good thing nobody was in the neighborhood to take a peek. In episode 617, uh, Roger Davis, by the way, who has uh, a number of uh, episodes here, um, uh, is in the garden, and apparently the uh, there's a railing uh, that Jeff is... Uh, that Jeff Clark, and that's Roger Davis, is standing by, and the camera uh, pans, and then you see a shadow of a crew person by the railing. Before I forget, I want to mention that there's a rather disgusting uh, blooper in this block um, where uh, Jonathan Frid as Barnabas is by the entrance to the cellar door and apparently he was itching, his nose was itching, and it really looked like he was picking his nose. And that is something that is unfortunately has been shown as, at Dark Shadows conventions. Uh, poor Jonathan. During the 1795 flashback, uh, where Tom Gorman, at 623, where Tom Gorman uh, once again uh, gives... And this Oscar-winning portrayal of the jailer, he proudly refers to Victoria Winters as Gloria Winters. That's one of the big bloopers of that block. In episode 621, look for Humper Allen Estrado's voice blooper. Instead of saying Angelique has taken the mirror, he says she has. He says she has traken the mirror. In episode 622, there is backstage chatter uh, that you may be able to hear if you have headphones on as Nicholas enters Angelique's 
uh, coffin room uh, to drive a stake through her heart, only to find out that her body is not there. Also in episode 622, uh, there's very clearly a mic boom in the garden, and this, of course, is the episode where Jeff proposes uh, marriage uh, to Vicky, and uh, closed captioning blooper on Amazon. You did uh, instead of saying you did come after Jeff. Closed captions: You came after Jack. In episode six twenty-five, you can see a stage hand in the upper right-hand corner of the screen who is moving uh, while. Liz is talking with Vicky. In episode 626, as Jeff uh, digs up Peter Bradford's uh, coffin and realizes he isn't there, and then has a dialogue with Roger, and then uh, Jeff runs away in horror and fear, Uh, he very plainly almost knocks over one of the papier-mâché tombstones, he bumps against it as he's as he's, as he's running away, and uh, it's a good thing the tombstone didn't fall down. Uh, and you can almost see Roger throwing up his hands in the air after he did that. Now, a more hidden blooper in episode six twenty six, uh, when Vicky opens the Collins family history, and she's reading from the book. If you read very closely, she turns to a section, starts to quote from the book. And you see she is reading blank pages. And P.S., I just want to make sure that is episode 626, where uh, Roger Davis as Jeff Clark almost knocks the headstone down. In episode 628, as Diabolos is giving a speech to Nicholas, uh, he uh, possesses Maggie uh, so that he can speak to Nicholas through Maggie, and he tells her, Prepare for judgment tomorrow. And that's in episode 628. In 629, when the scene, uh, the final scene is redone, he says, prepare for judgment soon. In episode 631, where Don Briscoe's Tom Jennings uh, attempts to attack Vicky and uh, shows off his fangs like a, like a dog in heat. Uh, and then uh, Barnabas rushes into the room. Jennings escapes through the window of Vicky's room. Barnabas gets to uh, Tom, I should say. Barnabas gets to Tom uh, and, and could definitely have held on to his... He had dropped the cane... Uh, and he definitely could have held on to Tom's legs. There was definitely enough time for that. But he made no move to hold his legs, and Tom uh, was able to escape. But there was no doubt that he could have held his legs. There is another blooper, uh, by the way, with John Carlin, who uh, has some episodes as Willie, uh, and when when. They find Barnabas and they put him in the cellar room of the old house temporarily while they're trying to figure out what to do with him. Barnabas escapes through the secret panel and uh, he takes a breakable bottle and hits Willie over the shoulders. Willie is knocked out unconscious and I'd like to know how it's possible to knock a person out by breaking the bottle over the shoulders rather than the head. 
There's a bit of irony, by the way, in episode 632, uh, when uh, Nicholas uh, is trying to get Maggie to marry him, and Nicholas tells her that he's got to move to London, and he wants her to go with him. And that is kind of ironic, because in real life, Catherine Lay Scott left Dark Shadows to marry Ben Martin, who was living in Paris. And with that, we have uh, gone over some of the major bloopers, uh, and there were a number of them in this block. Uh, and of, uh, not, not, I didn't see any shadows of uh, mic booms on the walls this time, although you actually saw the mic in a couple of scenes. So that's it for now. And we're probably going to have a lot more bloopers next time because as of next month, the show is going to be doubling up on episodes and we're going to be doing twice the number of episodes we usually do. So get set for a nice roller coaster ride. And now, back to the show. So what we're going to do now, um, thank you, Jonathan, for joining us. Um, are you going to continue on with the show with us to talk about the actual episodes? Please so stick what? around, John. Please so stick what? around. And I will be quiet, I promise. <laughs> no, no, you can, no, you can chip so, in if you remember anything, but no, 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 no that's fine. Just stick around. So what we're going to do is now we're going to cut to um, the bloopers and trivia information about Dark Shadows, and we'll be right back. I actually have some... Hello, welcome back to Literature License Podcast, and we're discussing episodes 615 and 636. And as you notice, our synopsis is missing, and the reason why it's synopsis is because we are now using a new format that we're bringing into Season 5, so we're testing this out today to see how this goes. Basically, what we'll be doing is we'll be, doing, we'll be mentioning five episodes in this block, we'll be discussing those, and then we'll move to the next five. So as we start off, basically, we're going to be starting off with episode... We're we, sorry, my brain died at 6.15. So basically what we're going to be discussing now is the sheriff questions Mrs. Johnson, Julie and Barnabas about Joe. For protection, Barnabas is locked in a cell in the old house basement. After Roger dreams about the wedding of Victoria and Jeff, he decides to stop it. And Angelique makes plans to go away with Barnabas, who tries to reach Victoria. And of course, we have Victoria finds Barnabas in the woods and hides him in the west wing of Collinswood. So starting with you, Vicky, what are your thoughts of these episodes? Well, you have the sheriff to begin with, you know, his investigations always hit a dead end, don't they? <laughs> I mean, does he ever solve a crime? No. <laughs> I mean, come on. No. <laughs> Not this one. Not this one. And Someone especially- always accidentally does. I don't think anyone deliberately solves anything. They just accidentally do like Vicky will happen upon a clue of some kind and then get kidnapped and someone will get kidnapped if it's her, Maggie or some other person that takes their place i don't feel like anyone who seeks out to solve something they solve it on their own it's always like an accident i think well well, i have to sit there and say that um barnabas can't lie worth crap i mean he just looks guilty all the way there like oh i didn't poison joe i don't know why joe was it that was the most pathetic poisoning i've ever seen too just just so for the record. Well, I have to then say they're not the most intelligent people reading other people's facial thoughts or emotions here. 
Um, I mean, you got Elizabeth's daughter. I know Elizabeth's daughter is still going on about her death thing, which um, is getting she kind of deters <laughs> after a while. Well, she's kind of put yeah, it on she's hold. She's coming out of it. She's yeah. kind she's of put it on hold. Because yeah. she, you know, because now Vicky is about to get married, and and and, and she's <laughs> no, she may not live to see it happen, but she hopes exactly. She but you know, and Vicky <laughs> says, "Oh, yeah. shut up! We well, yeah, I want you with my wedding." Uh, but I do have to say, the latest incarnation of Patterson, played by Fred Sandor, is uh, is. I mean, he. I he thought was he was pretty good. Well, he wasn't bad, and considering no, not at all. You know, it's interesting. His mother. Uh, Sandwina was her last name. Kath- I think it was Kathy Sandwina was a circus strongwoman, one oh, of the yes. most one of the most famous circus strongwomen in her day. She was able to lift her husband with one arm, which was uh, and, and, and he was one hundred eighty five pounds, and she would bend steel bars and break chains. And so what a lineage, uh, you know, it's a good thing he didn't report in his uh, Tarzan suit, uh, but Fred Sandor, but you, uh, you do get the impression and he had a, he had, he had a lot of things to say on one episode and one of the first episodes that we're discussing now. Uh, so I think that, uh, I think he did, I think he did pretty decently. I think that um, what's, it's quite interesting that, um, for protection, they hide Barnabas in the cell in the old house basement. It seems like the cell at the moment is getting a lot of um, mileage. I mean, yes. we haven't seen this much mileage since Maggie was um, abducted back in um, before mm-hmm. when Barnabas yeah. was up. It's like, and okay, we are. I think, um, and then Barnabas finds her. What he, he find, doesn't he find the secret door and how how Maggie got out finally? So because that's how he ends up in the woods, isn't it? That's right. That's right. And, and and I think you see again a revitalization of the of the old of the Julia Barnabas Willie triangle, which had kind of been yeah. put to the side for a little while, and and Professor Stokes had stepped into the role, but now we That's we true. need Willie again because they're talking about the secret, and and of course Julia discovers that he's now a victim of Angelique, and they have to protect him. That's not that is not something Stokes can do. So they bring Willie in again, and uh, and the only bl- and the big blooper there is when Barnabas hits him over the shoulders. With a with with a breakable bottle and and, and Willie crumples <laughs> to the floor and and that's the first time I've ever seen somebody hit over the shoulders and they when they fall unconscious. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was a pressure point. May- uh, yeah. Well, we have acupuncture now. In the, in the, in the <laughs> but you know, um, something something I noticed. Sorry, um, something I noticed while watching this is that. I feel like this will be the the case more as we discuss the later episodes um, in this block, but I feel like it's like a soft reboot of like the Victoria Winters arrives at Collinwood governess storyline because it feels very similar. And it's also like very reminiscent of Turn of the Screw. I've seen so many renditions of those um, recently between like the Haunting on Hill House. Um, Actually, no, it wasn't that one. It was the it was the one uh, Bly Manor, Blythe Manor, or something like that, and then uh, yeah, the Turn of yeah. the Screw um, film. I, of Bly Manor, I watched, man. I watched those kind of back to back, and I'm like, oh wow, that is totally where um, a lot of those Dark Shadows uh, initial 
stories with Victoria Winters came from with like, because, you know, David's bad again, but this time it's because of a ghost and all that stuff. And before it was just, he was kind of a menace because I guess his mom died. I'm assuming that was why he was that way in the beginning. Um, Because that he just kind of stopped being that way. He was never treated. He just randomly became a sweetheart because Victoria Winters believed in ghosts too. And that was kind of dropped after, but now they brought back the evil David and Maggie actually, even though I, no one can replace like Victoria's role. Maggie does play this really well. And it's very entertaining to see her interact in that same kind of um, context in the, yeah. in the same context with David, cause she's much more headstrong than Victoria, which was ever allowed to be on the show. At least later on, she became more, more of a softy, but um, it was very entertaining to see them, you know, kind of do those kind of verbal battles with each other. And I, I really enjoyed that, even though I did find myself missing um, Alexandra Moltke um, later on. But I, was just gonna yeah, say, was, I, I really like those. We also, though, we also have at the same time though, we got Roger catching Jeff and Eve having that little intimate moment outside that makes it <laughs> look pretty bad. Well, if, 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 if that's in this, if, I don't remember whether that's within the five episodes, but that's that got to be that. Oh, good because that's got to be the real topper. Here is Jeff's wedding day, and he winds up skirt, uh, deserting the bride to yeah. dig up a grave. And if that yeah, isn't to go dig up the oh. And if that is like Rogers, like, what the hell are you doing? Talk about You're being late to the that, wedding. You? <laughs> you know, talk about being late to the wedding. Everywhere, everywhere else, they're watching the football game and they forget. Yeah. Them, oh, yeah, I got to come. But in Dark Shadows, they don't watch football games. They dig up graves. And that's why they're late to the wedding. And I think that is the most hilarious thing uh, I, I've ever seen. Uh, I've spoken with Roger uh, Davis uh, about this, who has watched actually a few of the episodes in this particular block. That is especially. And, and his remarks were that at the time he actually had a, a Broadway gig at night uh, and, uh, and he had to literally memorize his lines during the morning rehearsal. Uh, and so he was pretty nervous when it came, uh, although he handled it well, but he was uh, pretty nervous and, 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 and also uh Alexandra Mulkey uh, became pregnant, and uh, this, of course, is the block where we. Well, that was her, her we last get the appearance. New who I totally was, like. Her last appearance. It's really, to me, it was the beginning of. I mean, she was the major character of the show from the beginning. Yeah. And now they they replace her with Betsy Durkin, who was you know was decent. She's but, doing a good job. She screams yeah. better. Well, they all scream. They're all screamers. They they hired her. Her dresses still fit very (laughs) abnormally, like because Victoria's dresses always looked a bit weird on her anyway. So it's like, so we now know that the dress dress is not the shape of the actress; it's the bloody cut of the dress that we now know is very bad. So they basically just kind of hang on them, and it they don't do well for the bullet bras that they're wearing. Oh God, I hate those bras for back then. They make you look like you got missile tits. All this pointy. That's not attractive. Marilyn Monroe yeah, was the only it person didn't that, that they had like off. excess stuffing inside the cups of the bras either. So you can like see that you can see like the lumping. Oh, so they all because like those bras are lumpy. <laughs> this is before the days of underwire and like, you know, yeah, molding stuff that kind of makes your boobs kind of look good. Yeah. Not that y'all have this problem, but, you know, us women well, do. I don't know. 
You know? <laughs> but on the same on the same note, though, you got Angelique planning to turn Barnabas into a vampire. Like that's something different. I mean, she's always. You think she'd uh, get bored after a while? Like, doesn't she have any other? Like, imagine be that better looking I, guys. You know, but imagine chased. doing that for centuries. Like, you've been alive for centuries, and that's always your goal. Every time you see this person, or maybe you don't even have to see well, them. You technically, just it started the wake up from the grave. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, but, but yeah, well, time, I mean, it's like yeah. you got Joe, okay, and then you had um, Jeff, Chris, uh, Chris Jennings. The Chris or Tom? Oh, who's kind of a hottie? It's, it's both. It's both. It, it, this is the interesting part. So we're introduced to the character of Chris Jennings, right? In this, and then Nicholas pulls out the stake from Tom. So for an episode, he's doing double duty, Don Briscoe. Right. And uh, he's, but, he, I mean, but you know what I'm saying? This is like Angie's got these nice looking guys around her, and she's, and you know, this is no disrespect to Barnabas. No, not at I mean, all. You know, Barnabas is like an old man. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know what age he's supposed to be because probably thirties. He does look older than that. Look a day over a hundred. Yeah, but really, what it is is that they play him. They play him like he's an older man, so that doesn't help. If they played him a bit younger, it would be easier to digest. Oh, him and Naomi look like they're the same age in the olden days. So you know, him and no, that's true. That's true. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, explain to me why Angelique. I think I think Barnabas, in effect, you know, when when I think when they wrote the this this the the character Barnabas, I think he's supposed to be like in his twenties, really. And of course, they went with Jonathan Fred because he's the better actor. But Jonathan Fred. I don't know how old he was, but he looks like his forties, wasn't he? That's correct. He was in his early forties. Well, I don't know if they started writing before, after they casted someone, but I do know that they wanted a younger, maybe even blonde guy to play the character of Barnabas. But then, because they didn't want to cast another Bella Lugosi, but then when they cast Jonathan Frid, they realized that they cast Bella Lugosi, and that was in the Dan Curtis um, like documentary that I recently watched. I think it was on Netflix or something, but I remember listening to that. I'm like, oh, so they did intend Barnabas to be younger, and I thought that was interesting. Well, like but Ben they- Cross in the second, you know, that because he was kind of, he was a little older too, so I mean, even he wasn't like the perfect age, but they were getting yeah, I mean, there. He was a bit virile though, wasn't he? he had more everyone everyone older. seemed older though, even Victoria seemed more mature than Victoria um, as played by Alexander Moltke. There was more of a sexual energy going on in that show than in the 1960s Dark Shadows. It was very sexualized. Especially with well, Carolyn. I've I've never seen a Ron looking at the 90s in my life. Well, we're looking at 90s television, which is totally different from 1960s daytime television. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah. And oh, and then Maggie and Roger's relationship. That was dug out of nowhere. I don't I don't know where they got that or who thought that was a good idea, but that was that well, was not good. That was, that was, that was, oh, um, I, was, I was going to say, by the way, that they considered Bert Convy for the role of Barnabas. I think we talked about that. Who? Bert Convy. Convy, he did Match Game. Was it yeah. Match Game? Oh, no. Match Game. He became a, he he became a game, game show host. In he was, the, he was a game show host later on, and he was on some TV shows. He was this handsome jock kind of guy with a perm. Uh, in the yeah, with a perm. <laughs> Thank God they didn't take him. I mean, I guess, I guess the thing is with the, um, and I think this is where the Dark Shadows writers sometimes 
are faulty a little bit when they try to. Now, Angelique falling in love with Barnabas back in the 1700s, that makes a lot of sense because basically it would be the power, the standing, and being part of that um, social construct, basically. is like, you know, you're marrying into a wealthy family and it's going to, you know, you're, you're in love with them, but at the same time, you're going to have this power. You're going to be the lady of the house, so on and so forth. Right. But brought into the 1960s now, the present day Dark Shadows, with Angelique still falling, being in love with Barnabas, it's kind of like, well, you're not going to really have a social standing, really, because Barnabas doesn't really have a social standing here because that doesn't, that, you know, I mean, he's a Collins, but I mean, he's living in an old dank house. Well, she's a dank servant. House that doesn't even have electricity in it. So, and Barnabas' so- his role in Collinswood itself is not, the you know, Elizabeth Stoddard and Roger's standing in Collins. Right. It's a totally, a Collinsport, it's a totally different standing than what Barnabas has. Barnabas is just a visiting uncle who never seems to go away, who's just right. inhabited the house with no toilet and no electricity. That, that actual house that they use for exteriors um, is up for sale right now. That's apparently, it's, in, it's in terrible disrepair, apparently. That's a shame. Like, um, yeah, but if any of you super fans out there one of an actual piece of dark shadows you can start buy a go fund me for me and keith we want it yeah <laughs> and I, I mean all i mean i know that all i need to do is get some stupid um handyman who's basically scared of everything to come in and do all the work for me and i'll just live there with candles and you'll okay, have another willy. <laughs> have another willy. I'll get my own little willy. <laughs> By the way, explain to me how a 200-year-old witch who becomes a vampire when she, and I, it, it wasn't in this block, but it, but the, the astute fan, when she opens her mouth to buy Barnabas and you see silver dental fillings in her teeth. And so explain to me how somebody that became a vampire, that became that was a witch in the 18th century and then became a vampire can have silver fillings. I think, um, and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but I think that she gets burned and basically the metal that she's wearing went into her teeth. And then when it comes to the 1900s, <laughs> it's a stretch. I know. Nice Thank try. <laughs> nice try. Oh, we can't forget, um, though, about Julia walking right up to uh, Nicholas Blair, you know, and asking yeah, that, why yeah, he's that being was... such a dick. <laughs> well, she really showed guts. And even Nicholas said, I admire you. I know. Because, but, but this is how far she was willing to go for Barnabas. And we always forget that she's madly in love with him. That isn't brought up constantly when you see no. him crying um, about Vicky eventually. You know, the thing is, I wonder if she's still in love with him because it seems like. I think so. I think she is. I think she I, is. I think the relationship, no, I think the relationships kind of changed because, um, I think it's more of a, because it's gone from like this love thing where she's infatuated. And now what we get is we kind of got Julia where there's this mutual admiration, right? The, they're the mutual admiration society for each other sort of thing. And they kind of, you know, like when you like lust after someone and right. you fall in love with someone. And after a while, it's like, you know, it's not going it to happen. Old. You can like their best friend. Or maybe she's and accepting. Like, and you watch their back. And accepting. It seems like it- yeah, there you go. I think she's accepting. I'm with Tom on that because yeah. I think that it's unrequited again. And I, I just think well, there's nothing she won't do for him. And well, we also find this block. I mean, what does Barnabas say that I've been saying for a long time now that the love of his life is Victoria? Right. Mm-hmm. I guess and Josette doesn't count anymore. Even Julia acknowledges that the love of um, his life is Victoria. 
mm-hmm. you know, you know, and it's and, you know, and, and there is it, this it does, bond it does get constituted during this block, actually, you know, because as we get to the next segment of episodes, this is going to be brought out of it. Well, this is the same segment where um, uh, Angelique really nails him, right, with biting him in the neck. She's trying to really take him out at this point. She bit him and at least three times. Yeah. Victoria Winters takes him to the West Wing of Colin. Right. Like, no one's ever going to find him there. And Everybody goes to the West Wing. And there's where you find this hidden bond. Is there an East Wing? No, I don't know. Wing. It's just, there's well, there is an East Wing. Oh, east there certainly the is. Cloud? Or a North or a South? Something. They've got a West wing. wing. That's all I know. I- I'm going ahead if I tell you where the East Wing leads to. But yes, there is an East Wing. Uh, so maybe I'll keep my mouth shut on that. But um, well, well, I, I, I listen, th- listen, there, so we'll find out about the East Wing in later episodes. Of that's our, right. Our that's right. Uh, but you do see the bond between Barnabas and Vicky because when Barnabas is has escaped and and he and of course Angelique catches him in the forest, gives him another hickey, and uh, he's he's lying on the ground. Uh, and he's trying. Oh, he, then he then he tries to escape, and he's going. And he's going to. He, he can't make it, and so he mentally calls out to Vicky, which is interesting yeah. considering he's still human at this point. But he's able somehow, and she and she hears him, and and I and and she runs to him, and that's how he's uh, and that's how he's saved. And then she takes him to the West Wing uh, with that that room. Uh, which the, the the door to the closet where Adam hid Vicky is now mysteriously missing. So I think they took care of that one. Uh, but uh, but it does show you that there is a that that there's a psychic bond between the two of them. And while Vicky can never love Barnabas the way he wants her to, she cares very deeply for him. And it also makes you think that maybe there's something a little psychic about Vicky as well. Well, they didn't really get a chance to explore it though. Really? Did we? No, they didn't. No, they didn't. I mean, part of this block with, um, you know, with the whole Barnabas, Angelique storyline that we got here, we got, we also find that Julie discovers that Adam is suffering from the same neck wounds as Barnabas. So we know that, Every time that Barnabas is happened by Angelique, that underneath that turtleneck of Adams, there are bike marks. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the very yeah. last episode. Right. Where Adam is wearing, if you want to talk about 636, I thought it was 635, but I did watch it. 635 is where he gets shotters at 634. And there's no yeah. wound. I hope you got that, Tom. Uh, well, oh, of course, of course. Okay. And, uh, but what I was going to say was in 636, which we will probably talk about next time, uh, he finally wears a, uh, a lumberjack shirt. Adam, that's what I know. Yes, finally. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think he stole it off Joe. <laughs> Joe probably. Well, Joe's always hanging around there over there anyway, isn't he? When somebody messes with him. I mean, surely it's Maine. There's got to be a lumberjack shirt somewhere in the story. And Stokes shows his medical acumen, which never came, which we never saw before. In Julie is still trying to drug everybody in every episode. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you think? Every I've episode. got a sedative. I've got a sedative for you, you know. It was kind of nice seeing um, Fear David's um, Professor Stokes with. Um, with Adam again, because it's been a while and I kind of yeah. like that dynamic because Adam's character isn't always the the most fascinating to watch, especially as the character drags on and he's only given so much to do. But when you see those two, they have such an interesting dynamic. They do. 
um, that I really like. It's very Mary Shelley, of course. Um, of course. But it's more expanded on, and that's kind of what I like about it, because Frankenstein, you know, was just one novel, and they didn't really expand on um, that blind guy, which I think... Wait, no, no, no. Who is... Did Frankenstein Sam? come upon someone... Three no, like actual mice. Frankenstein, <laughs> the the monster in uh, the actual novel. He came upon some guy. Was it a blind it was man? Was an old I don't blind remember. man in a in a shack, and he was sharing. And they me. copied that in Dark Shadows with Sam going blind. I thought that was but, kind but of those interesting. Glasses, those glasses. <laughs> oh, yeah. Adam doesn't throw um, David into the pond, though. Yeah, yeah that's wall. right. To so see if he'll float. <laughs> they all float down here. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you You'll float when you... too. Now, our next block of episodes, then we actually do, we move on to Nicholas and Angelique and the, um, and Eve and the situation that's going on there. So we find out that Nicholas decides to destroy Angelique, but discovers her coffin is empty. Nicholas performs a ceremony to send Eve back to 1796 to find Peter Bradford. And then we go to 1796, where Peter refuses Eve's offer for help, but writes her a note before he goes to the gallows. So what are your thoughts on these episodes, Tom? I'm sorry. Uh, can you repeat the question? I was, I was, I was so, I was so busy looking at Vicky that I forgot about you. Oh, you shut up! <laughs> <laughs> I that's what you were looking at. So basically, um, well, I'm not going to look at you, that. Jesse. You, you know, after you, this long, um, long drawn out process with Angelique and Nicholas, we find out that Nicholas does not. I figured out that Angelique is not to be trusted. And he's going to destroy her. But at right. the same time, we get um, Eve going back to Peter in 1796 to find yes. out what, and we find out a little bit more about the relationship between Peter and Eve and what actually is going right. on. Right. Right. So what are your thoughts on um, this? Um, I think that uh, I, I was very, I personally think that the episode where uh, she, and, and, and Angelique, by the way, is the one that sends um, Danielle Roger, not Nicholas, because yeah. yeah, she comes to Nicholas first and I'll, I'll think about it, but you better, yeah. you better be nice, nice, nice to Adam. I didn't think that Angelique still had her witchy powers as a vampire. Apparently though. there was apparently there. Well, they're stretching it because a vampire can't usually do that. I'll tell you that. Uh, but, um, and, and of course, Angelique steals the mirror which is another, and that was another. Good that was thing. Another little, that was the first thing I would have took. I think everybody needs one of them bad boys in their house. So when Nicholas finds out that the mirror is no longer there, why the hell doesn't he get another one? Yeah, I mean, so why couldn't he enchant another mirror? Really? The evil queen had it with Snow White. That's right. That's right. I know, yeah. but the evil queen probably could have dispensed a new one or dispatched a new I one. I think if that if Black I don't Carilla, think I don't think Angelique is a vampire. I think she's a wimpire. <laughs> a vampire. She's a vampire. But in, but in, <laughs> a vampire or a vampire? A vampire. But an vamp vampitch. In answer to your question, I think that the episode with six, I think it was, was it six twenty six or something. Uh, six twenty six was pretty. No six. Yeah, six twenty. Was it 626 because she goes yeah, back to uh, 1795? It is 1795. I think that's the best. I think that's the best because uh, for the first time, I'm just, I, I think it's just so apocryphal to Tom Gorman, who's been playing the Blue Whale, one of the Blue Whale customers all the right. time. 
And he did play the jailer in the original uh, 1795 block, comes back for a day as a jailer because they materialized a few weeks after uh, Barnabas is, uh, has gone. Uh, and uh, he steals the show, uh, yeah. including his famous blooper of Gloria Winters. Yeah, uh, Gloria Winters. Gloria Winters. Instead of, I mean, you know, people, fans still remember that. Uh, but, but I think that Nicholas... Uh, it is it is very apparent that Nicholas is starting to lose his grip. Uh, yeah. And especially when you have, and again, this may be skipping to the next segment. Not but so the, much. But the devil, the devil thing, played by Dwayne Morris. Is that uh, who that was? I was trying to find a name because I was, it was like the Crypt Keeper or something. I, kinda, yeah. I mean, I almost felt bad for Nicholas. But I mean, you know what I have to say during these these blocks, though, is, is Maggie is is he she enchanted to be attracted to him because let's face it, she's a sexy little thing, and he looks like a dirty old man like Barnabas well, used to with the eyebrows and stuff. Yeah, but I also think that um, Maggie's lost her father, and so I think she's, she's looking for a daddy. Kind of poses in there, sort of thing, because. She's gone with someone her own age, and we know that's kind of fizzled out to boredom here. Yeah. But, but even so, she's ambivalent. But even so, she's ambivalent about marrying him. And he, and he finally has to do what he never wanted to do, which is to uh, put a spell the on her. of the Black Mass. Put a spell on <clears throat> her. And I did think that that, the, the, you know, the Black Mass thing was interesting. But I, I think thought it was, it was funny. There's a lot of, somewhere out there, there's a lot of Satanists wanting their ritual back. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, I mean, we'll actually get we'll actually get to that more. But I think um, what we're kind of discussing now is the Victoria. I mean, the Angelique and Eve and Eve and Peter Bradford, because this is going to lead to right. the whole wedding situation that we're. That's true. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Right. Yeah. Well, that's so, um, well, that's true. You know, and, but and, but I think that you know I think what we do learn is that Nicholas's libido has kind of gotten in the way of his grand scheme. Of, yeah, and that's what gets him in trouble. Well, that's because he's getting a little more human. He's getting a lot more, you or know. a little bit more Randy. Well, all well, that he's too. He's a lot horny. more Randy too, so. and and Maggie hasn't been given him what he wanted. Uh, I don't think so. Maggie gives any puts out for anybody, does she? I mean, <laughs> what did you think about the backstory between Eve and Peter Bradford? Did I it feel it. like it was wedged in there? Did it feel? It natural looks. It feels I wedged thought, because I, all of a sudden, yeah, she just I felt. Up. Yeah, she just. Yeah, I felt up. like it. And it had nothing to do with the original story. I did feel like it was a bit uh, too contrived for my taste. Even though it was kind of interesting, I didn't feel like it fit at all. Did it you was think like, it was like a weird segue? There's maybe? no doubt that they had I to did. explain. I did, yeah. But one thing that does come out I think the episode I think the episode was well acted and I think yeah. everything's of course. Fine. as far as like as far as the acting goes and everyone yeah. in that in that front was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But when you look when you step away from it and take the episode itself and then try to put in the scheme of the dark shadows yeah. that were Okay, but here's a plot device and the writers finally focused on something, the book. The Collins Family History. The history book, yeah. Which Vicky left in 1795, and we never knew what, and that that was forgotten. Did it disappear in 1795? Because I don't remember what happened to it. It was left in the courthouse. She got hung, so she she didn't, she, she, she got hung. So basically what happened, she ends up back there. She was hanged. Of course, that that poor wench of a woman ends up in her place on the Right. 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 I mean, so she did. And so the book pretty much, I guess, stays in the, she had it in the jail cell, I think is the last time we saw it. That's exactly right. And so they pick up on that. And so Eve takes that back. Eve takes the book back. And uh, 
And, and now we know what happened to that. Uh, also, there's a big thing about uh, Joshua and Ben look, uh, you know, rewriting the history and, and says, you know, I don't know what these things are about, Joshua said, but I'm going to adapt that and I'm going to. So there's a so this is how that's the, how the that timeline, came to be. Yeah. yeah, this is how the timeline straightens, straightens itself out. And so the writers were clever there in that the whole thing, the whole thing with the book was forgotten about and somebody must have remembered it and they used it not only for that, but to, but so he brought it back with her and then uh, gave her a poison, a poison pen gift to Vicky uh, at the, at the wedding with the card, Peter, you know, that that kind of thing, which. Well, then she got that that letter from Peter that Peter wrote to make sure that it was for ease. But it was but weird about, because he wrote it to Eve, but it was about Victoria. She so. was he was she was able to show it, but he well, it was a letter to Eve though, telling talking about the fact he you know because she was she convinced him to try and escape with her, and then he changed his mind and he ran and he and he asked the jailer and he was working on it for hours. I don't see how somebody could work on a letter for hours and come up with a page. Do they ever go into a backstory why Danielle Roger murders everybody? I mean, that has something to do with it because she's very pretty mainly, evil. Very generally. Uh, you really don't, except for Philippe Cordier, who was right. one of her lovers, and he murdered her, and his spirit came but back. But she loved, she loved Bradford, though. She loved Bradford, and Bradford yeah, how decided how it wasn't going to work. I don't understand. So basically, it's like Peter's in love with Victoria. Victoria hangs herself, and then Eve comes on the picture? Or was Eve somewhere in the background? No, no. Eve, Eve fall, was before. Or? Eve she, was before. She apparently. came before. Okay. That's Eve right. Came yeah, before, she would have had to. And they broke up, but she always had the unrequited love oh, for Oh, wait. Him. That's because he found out what she was done. She done. I think. What, Eve? Oh, wait, yeah. oh you mean Danielle, well, Danielle Roger. Roger. And that's why yeah. he was disgusted with her, and he didn't right. want her. Right. And, okay. you know, he admitted that there was something at one point but it, when he found out how evil she was, it totally went down the toilet as far as he was concerned. Okay, but she gotcha. never forgot. Well, I'm surprised they didn't hang her for being a witch for wearing that black nitrogen she always wearing. <laughs> why didn't they? Okay, before we, I mean, this is not a segue or anything, but why Angelique don't the they change one. Angelique and Eve's clothes? I mean, she's got a shroud on and she's got a no, black shroud saying- on. I'm 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 happy with Marie Wallace's. I mean, you know, oh, I'm a she gay looks man, beautiful. and she's I'm a happy with Eve. I'm 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 actually happy with Marie Wallace's um, black non- negligee because I think she's very very sexy, and it she's reminds scary. me of a Russ Meyer film, and I love Russ Meyer. You know, so, that's <laughs> she was taller than Laura Parker. She really is. That was the other thing. She was taller. She was. Taller you know, Dark Shadows. If Dark Shadows is naming um, these characters off of like. Or, you know, Adam and Eve, if they're naming them also biblical characters, I think the more appropriate name for her would be like Lilith or something. But then Adam wouldn't have had Lilith. He would have had Eve. You'd have to come up with some yeah. kind of, you know, Mobite god to go with Lilith, you know? Something, yeah. Eve was made from Adam's rib, so it would make more sense to call her Lilith because Lilith is her own character. She's not. That's very true because. But that's what happened in the, um, you know, in the old, old, what, the Talmud, the alphabet. Um, I forget what that's called. I think it's part of that. But I thought that was interesting because she's the one that rebelled against Adam, which this character does. And then because of that, God creates Eve from Adam's rib. So. They could have found like a that story to tell. By the way, (laughs) they could have found. Yeah, but I also think that maybe 
in 1960s America where Christianity was still running. No, well. you're right. It might have been. Yeah, they were already introducing very risque material for the show. So maybe that would have been a little difficult. Nowadays, though, nowadays you could get away with that. After seeing Sabrina, you can get away with that. <laughs> now, I have to sit there and say that it was nice to bring the book back. So now we have the book back in the hands of the Collinses. Right. But I do kind of wonder that if she, if Victoria left the book after she was hanged and was left in the, um, sell for whatever reasons you think it probably would end it up in the collinsport museum somewhere later on down the road well didn't it end up somewhere she found it somewhere like that she she found she found she found it in the courthouse and she brought it back forward so i guess that would explain why in the the original is not somewhere in collinsport because let's face it if basically victoria goes in 200 years past and this old book is still floating around it end up in a museum somewhere wouldn't it but his, yeah. And history, I think, has now changed so that he brings it back with her. And uh, well, we oh, he would have to go straight, back to bring we? the book back. Otherwise, the book exactly. would be museum somewhere. So something. we did set history straight, basically, then. But it does state, but it does imply that you can change th- certain things, altering the timeline right. with some things, and you can't in others. Well, we uh, went, did that during the Phoenix storyline, kind of, because David mm-hmm. would have not been That's around true. to keep the the Adams family going, so to speak. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing, the thing is, is that whatever you change in the past is going to have a ripple effect. In today's right. Story. Yes. Anyway. Yes. Butterfly. You know, it's a bit like um, we'll be covering the dead zone um, in our in season five. And basically that whole thing is if you can go back and kill Hitler, would you? And the question basically, you know, thing is, yeah, you can. It just means that you're going to be in a different world. Doesn't necessarily mean that world's going to be better or worse. Right, right, right. right, right, And same thing. Like if you go back and change one little small thing, one small little conversation anywhere in your past, your life is going to be different now. Or throw a pebble into a river, go back in time, throw a pebble back into a river, and something's going to happen, unleashing a whole chain of events, and you're going to come mm-hmm. back then to a different world. No matter how small the action is, if you spoke to somebody you didn't speak to before, you know, that kind of thing. But you're also going to find, and I don't want to get too far ahead, that Shadows is going to use that changing history thing yeah. uh, in, in future episodes. But it's really introduced here. In that particular episode, because Eve's purpose is to change history. Right. And if she, and she has only six hours uh, during, you know, Angelique warns her, you better get what you need because otherwise you won't be able to go back after six hours. I would have liked to see that relationship more. Don't you think, Tom, Eve and Angelique kind of, you know, being buddies? Yeah. Yeah. Frenemies, whatever. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Female empowerment. They didn't yeah. use. Well, they were getting rid of Marie Wallace or uh, as Eve, so it, it, so they never gave that thing a chance to. No, they develop. didn't. I wish they would have. I also think that yeah, I agree. This is some of the strengths of Dark Shadows and some of the weaknesses is that sometimes when it's moving very very fast, and I have to say this block moves very very fast. Yes, it does. It, it really does. There's so yeah, much yeah. going we're on. We're basically yeah. racing. We're racing to this. You know what we're cohesive, going, very cohesive we're in block, we, we and we'll find that, that reason being. Yeah. But at the same time, there are situations that you kind of wish that they would actually slow down a little bit and explore a little bit the relationship sometimes. And sometimes what we get is we get an exploration of the relationships that we don't really care for, and the mm-hmm. ones that we do care for, we don't get the it's explanation. True. The contract, however, was there was you could see there was a change that they really wanted to bring new people and they wanted to bring Briscoe back. 
Uh, th- this is, and of course, this is maybe in the later part of the block, but this is the first time we also meet Denise I think they, Nickerson. I think they wanted the eye candy, didn't they? I think Joe was losing the eye candy vote, and I think right. that, um, Jennings Russell was bringing was it back. Bringing it back. He's bringing back the... He is a very good-looking man. And Dark Shadows, I mean, what was the biggest cast, uh, what was the biggest fandom for Dark Shadows was the female... Teenage right. the housewives, the housewives, and the and, and teenage and the girls. And I mean, I don't were, know. I mean, my they, my I mean, brother still talks about it. At this time, we got Jonathan Fred basically um, taking care of Team Beat and all those other things. Mm-hmm. And now we get Don Briscoe, and pretty much Team Beat is running full blast with this character also, later 16 on. Magazine, right. remember 16 Magazine 16. and Gloria Stavis. Tiger was, Beat. What was it? There was yeah. six, 17. There was other. What was the other one? 17 was more of a fashion magazine, I think. Was it 17? Yeah, that's yeah. right. 16 like, Magazine was the teenager thing. That Tiger Beat, Teen, something. You, know, you, know, you got to remember that Don Briscoe. Um, later on will be running you know hand in hand competition against you know david cassidy at the same time in 69 with the partridge family come on basically it's like these two people are basically you know on the cover interesting it's interesting by the way Dwayne morris who played the devil i think he's the same guy that played was the stand-in for uh adam's corpse uh, if oh. I remember correctly. Uh, but, so that's how he was really introduced to the, you know, all he did was, uh, you know, you saw his body under a sheet and, uh, right. you know, but they, but I guess they finally found this, uh, Nicholas, Nicholas, you know, thing, <laughs> thing, thing for him. And uh, I did love the, the set of hell. I really thought that was that that, that must be Cy Thomas. So I love the you know and and you see that on the Viewmaster reel. This whole thing is covered on the Viewmaster reel that we talked about a couple of episode blocks. And and you to see that in three dimensional. You see Angelique. One of the things is Angelique is talking to uh, Balbereth. Uh, Balbereth. I'm sorry, Diabolos. This is in her descent to the underworld. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That was that was her famous. Uh, I call on the owl and the dove and the raven. They may have been new speech for her and uh but i love the set it really looked like you know you, you could just use your imagination uh in in terms in terms of that um i don't know if this we're in this block by if they were in this segment by the way but i do want to mention conrad bain who they brought back for one episode. That's at the end of this block. This is oh, it's the end of this block. Good. Thank you, Keith. So, so. Well, our next block, basically. Is Victoria makes preparations for a wedding while Eve makes plans to prevent it. Jeff calls off the wedding and goes to the cemetery to locate Peter's at Radford's grave. Jeff digs up Peter's coffin and finds it is empty. He discovers Eve's body in his closet. Go figure. And Victoria tries to convince Jeff to wait for the police instead of running away. So we'll start with you, Jesse. What are your thoughts of these episodes about Victoria and her wedding day as it, come, as it comes up? And Eve trying to put a bosh on the whole situation and hiding in Peter's closet. Sounds like a soap episode. And, um, yeah, and, it does. And then, uh, Remember that Adam killed him. Jeff being so in love with Victoria, these guys that he's didn't find out who Peter Bradford Jeff is. Jeff slash Peter. Spend time searching for his past. What he could have done this for the last, you know, 80 episodes that he's been in so far. But he decided know, couldn't he have done a past life regression um, by now? So, Something. That would have been fascinating, actually. So what are your thoughts about this storyline? You know, I... I thought it was, um, 
I thought it was interesting because I do feel like they were trying to bring a lot of old dynamics back, um, like Barnabas being in love with Victoria. I feel like they constantly would have like this ebb and flow with it. Like they would really try to make that a thing and then they would kind of lose it after a while and then try to bring it back. And I feel like in this case, they're trying to bring it back. Um, and I was kind of relieved personally because I don't like Vicky and Jeff Clark. It is annoying. Couple. It's a little annoying. I, I don't is. feel any dynamic. It doesn't, it's juvenile. Like, it's kind of no a juvenile one relationship. Ever, I don't think anyone except for Frank Garner that they've paired Victoria Winters with has ever felt like the right person for her. It always feels kind of forced. And it's like, even Barnabas, like, I, I like the idea of that. It's very romantic, very old fashioned. It's very typical of these stories. Very Bronte. But, Yes, it just doesn't really, even that doesn't fit. And I don't know if it's just the dynamic. I don't know if it's because Barnabas is older. I don't really know exactly what it is. But um, the only person I felt like that would have been really good for Victoria would have been Frank Garner. And I wish they would have picked that. because I, I really wish I was he would have stuck around too. I know. We talked about it before. That was the most normal relationship yes. she ever had. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I like about Devlin. I missed him. Is that- and I guess another thing with Jeff, the whole Jeff character as well is that Jeff, whether he's Peter Bradford or Jeff Clark, he's very, very annoying. difficult to like. I know there's something yes. like, first of all, I mean, I don't, I know that some people found him to be a sex symbol. Um, I don't see it personally. I, don't, I think he's got as much sex appeal as Catherine Zia Jones. Catherine Zia Jones is very gorgeous, but there's like yeah, no sex appeal is. about her. <laughs> Um, though you look at Susan Sarandon, who's not typically beautiful, but there's a lot of sex appeal about her. She's so, definitely you know, got sex appeal. Have. And on this show, he's kind of a castrated hero kind of thing as well. There doesn't seem to be anything going on with him. They so, do seem to restrain him from being, you know, the lone well, That's ranger. true. That's actually well, really a very, very good point. But it's really, really hard to care for a character that, you know, it's a bit like, you know, when we saw Barnabas, on, when we came, you know, we had the Barnabas character when he was a vampire, it was fantastic. But then right. we go back to 17, you know, 1795. And then we get the whole Josette storyline, which kind of fizzled out a little bit. It wasn't as great yeah. as you, it wasn't as great as the story that they were telling us. And we kind no, of, no, it's true. And we realized that the sex in that was actually Josette and, you know, the uncle Jeremiah, yeah, Jeremiah, yeah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Was the sex yeah. part of that yeah, whole Jeremiah. plot. Well, which we yeah, all agreed would have been more. a better setup. And, and yes, there was there more was sex appeal between Angelique there. and Barnabas than there was between Barnabas and Josette. And then we've, and then of course we've seen more sex appeal between Victoria and Barnabas as well. The Barnabas is love for Josette. Well, especially it's, with it's, Angelique and Barnabas because she's biting the shit out of them. All these <laughs> yeah, but at, the same, but at the same, but at the same time, I mean, Laura, Laura Parker can pretty much, you know, she can make love to a stump, and that stump will end up becoming sexy because of it. And she has so, that. So she could buy the tree. She's got those vivid eyes. But at the same time, what we got here with Jeff Clark is kind of like this kind of a weird thingy because it's like Victoria's supposed to be in love with him. And it's really, and we don't really feel that. We don't really feel the love that Victoria apparently has for Jeff. And it's almost like I'm married to the acting though. There. Did you think it was the acting? Because, I mean, she just doesn't seem like she's into it. She is going to have a baby and everything else. That's you know? exactly what happened. Yeah, but this is, this is before the baby. I mean, you got to remember that, I mean, you know, the Peter Bradford thing came. I mean, she's, what, two months pregnant? So, you know, this she is only... She looked a two- little bigger than that. She's got a little... Yeah, bump. but this is only two months. We're talking about the whole history between Victoria and... Jeff. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And, you know... Well, and even, think- even with Anthony George's Burke, it was kind of the same issue. They always pair her with these 
actors or these characters that she just doesn't actually have like a good chemistry with romantically. And like, if you were going to pair her with Burke Devlin, it would have been Mitchell Ryan's Burke that would have made more sense because he just, I mean, you could pair him up with anyone and it would just kind of make sense because he is very charismatic. You You know, Jesse, you bring up a great point. I wish they had brought and uh, uh, Burke Devlin back from the dead. I wish that that been great. they had <laughs> found him, uh, that maybe he'd been Me living too. in South America, he lost his memory from the crash. I and know. They, and then they bring him back, and he and Jeff are competing for Vicky's love. I would have loved if they brought him back. That Excellent point. Fun. That would have been fun. I would have even enjoyed yeah. seeing him play um, Jeremiah, too, I, just because they're the same... You know, they were the same character at one point. It would have been interesting to see like Mitchell Ryan's take if he had actually oh, isn't it, well, stayed isn't it, on. There's another good point, Jesse. You're scintillating today because they have on Facebook. Obviously, Mitch Ryan went on to have a very, very good career yes, in both did. TV and movies, and he was in a Civil War. TV show or something. Ooh. I forget what it was. Was it a and John so Jake thing? I think it was... Uh, no, wait. Was it North and South, I think? Yeah, I yeah, think- yeah, 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 yeah. <gasps> oh, so, yeah. So they have a picture on Facebook of him. And I swear to God, you know, they, they had him with long sideburns. And of course, and it was a headshot, a face shot. and But they had, but they had him in, in, in 19th century costume. But I could just imagine him playing Jeremiah instead of Anthony George. And what a great yeah. Jeremiah he would have been. I, I mean, yeah, I, I really absolutely. think so. I really he knows so. how to command attention in a way that some of the actors just don't know how to do. Well, he was kind um, of, he was a strong he was a personality. Guy. He really was, definitely. you know, manly. You know, mm-hmm. another thing is, I don't know if the Jeff character, I don't think this is the actor's fault. I think it's the way it's written. Yeah. I think the Jeff character, character okay. Peter Bradford character was kind of written a bit. There's something a bit wimpy about him. And if there's a, it's a, true. And when we get, what we get with the Jeff characters, I am a victim. Oh, woe is me. I don't know who I am. Da di da di da. And this kind of threads through everything that he does to the simple fact that because he plays the victim so often. And, and so, and the thing is, you know, with Burke Devlin, as you said before, I mean, he was a strong man. And for whatever reason, he could, you know, Victoria felt protected by him. And this seems to be, and Victoria felt protected by Frank Gardner. There's someone who's going to protect her and, you know, solidify her or whatever thing like that. But what we get with Jeff is almost like Jeff has the Victoria has to protect Jeff a lot of times. It feels that's like. true. That's and, true. I definitely then, and, feel and that. And then <laughs> we kind of see with the whole E storyline where E's attracted to Jeff as well, and you're kind of thinking, why? So we, the audience, are looking back as like, what in the hell are they seeing with this Jeff Clark character? Because to be honest, he spends all his time moaning and groaning. He's always a victim. He doesn't know who he is, and all this other stuff. And even Peter Bradford, he's kind of like. You know, he's even him being this kind of a lawyer person. He wasn't the strong lawyer part. He's kind of lawyer, a beginner lawyer trying he wasn't to. Wasn't a lawyer. He was never a lawyer. He wasn't really a lawyer. I didn't realize that. He was a student. Yeah, I didn't know that until. So we have this like the student lawyer sort of thing. You know, no wonder Victoria lost and was getting hung because I mean, you got a student lawyer representing you, so that doesn't fare very well. Need a Johnny Cochran, but. But then then when you get Jeff Clark and everything that we've seen in Jeff Clark in modern day, I mean, first of all, you know, he's a victim of the mad scientist. He's digging up body parts um, because he's a victim there. 
Now he's a victim because he doesn't know who he is. Now he's a victim because, you know, and there's always something standing in his way of no matter what. And he, and he's never taking responsibility for anything. He's never taking charge of anything. He's never taking charge. No, That's true. he doesn't. This is true. He's, he's not only a victim, but he whines about it. He, he, I mean, it's one thing to be a victim and then kind of like do your best to remain positive and fight for your place in life or whatever. But he doesn't do that. He just kind of whines and complains well, a lot of lost. the time. Remember the, pro- the whole problem was he's been lost and he acts. Lost yes. Well, yeah. Lost. The writers though, did, did, a, did a disservice because they really could have now. Uh, they could have done a better job, Tom. I agree. S- I don't want to go too far ahead, but the story of Vicky and Jeff isn't over. No. Uh, and that's for the fans who uh, are saying, well, you know, when, uh, you know, when, when you see these, when you see it finally happening and, uh, and again, that's, that's, that's 636. So it's the episode of the next block, but the, but there is no doubt that they could have used it better. John is, John, John is still with us. And uh, John, what what were your thoughts in terms of that episode that we talked about in 1795 where Eve goes back? Do you remember that? And what were your thoughts about your uncle uh, in that episode? Um, if that well, isn't throwing you a curve. As always, I, I thought it was fantastic, you know, given, you know, one thing, you, you folks have probably discussed this at length, but... Um, you know, this was a, a, a TV, live TV show. Live that, on tape. Yeah. Live on tape, yeah. They had to shoot, write and shoot five episodes per day. So there, there's obviously going to be some snafus involved in that. But I thought he was great. I always thought his performances were I'm a little biased. And, and and unfortunately, this is the only time that he appears in this block. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and that's because I think they really should have used, but they will, but they will go back. Um, I have some thoughts about Robert Rodin, but I want to save that until, uh, oh, I do want to talk, uh, mention Denise Nickerson because her first appearance yeah, on yeah. the well, show was We haven't got to that block yet, though. So oh, we haven't gotten to it. Okay, I'll shut up. I'll shut up. What we do, what we got into what we're discussing now is that because of the Eve and Jeff triangle with Adam, what we do is that Adam actually kills Eve now. Right. right. Okay. He's into strangling everybody. On the block. downfall for Nicholas, <laughs> which is which is going to lead us now to. Angelique visits the netherworld and tells. Um, Diablos, that Nicholas is in love with Maggie. Diablos orders Nicholas to sacrifice Maggie in the Black Mass so they may be together. Nicholas revives Tom Jennings and orders him to attack Victoria. And in a crypt, Barnabas battles Tom and confronts him with a crucifix. Um, so basically what we get here is that we got um, Angelique basically is like, you know, finally, like, you're going to try to kill me. I'm going to get, uh, you know, it's going to be mm-hmm. either Nicholas or myself. So we get mm-hmm. this, this storyline going on. We also get Nicholas basically like his plan of his new generation of these new beings are going to take over the world after plenty of children yeah. and grandchildren, apparently <laughs> not going to happen anytime soon, but that's nope. coming to the Bosch. And basically now Nicholas is running against time because basically he's got, what is it? 48 hours order to get a new six, oh, wait, six days. 
Well, I mean, let's face it. Eve's dead. Okay. So she's going to get kind of ripe because they got to dig her back up. Right. Does well, anybody go into no, rigor they, in the show? No, they need a new Eve. That Eve's dead. That Eve's not coming well, back. Well, they were going to try to bring that body back to life with Maggie. I think that's in the last episode. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so basically yeah. what we got is Nicholas basically fighting against time because this is basically, if he doesn't do this, chance. he's going to have to go back to hell. Right. Angelique goes. And rats on No him. more Angelique. He's disappeared now. That's yeah. right. And basically he's right. gone. So this, what we got now is that in these next block of episodes that we're, we're going to discuss. They put Barnabas in Wincliffe. We start dispensing of characters very, very quickly here. Right. <laughs> yes. there's, a, there's a lot of movement if, if you think about it because old characters were killed really off, new characters came on. You had the walk-on roles uh, for, Con- you know, for Conrad Bain. I kind of wish that when Barnabas got rid of Tom Jennings, I kind of wish that that had been held out a little longer instead of like a two day. Th- instead of Why like do you think they did thing? that so quick? Because, you know, he's just, just did, I, did away with them. Cause there's maybe a they lot going pay on money. already. To be yeah, honest, maybe. I think that another, I think another thing reason being is because I think they were the quite dual character. Well, they were quite eager to bring Chris in. Right. right. As the, right. and the same thing, I think yeah. they're thinking, and another thing is that, if you notice, we have Tom, the Ozzy Osbourne Jennings, because he does, kind of looks like Ozzy Osbourne, especially when we have the, like, the little black um, eyeliner, <laughs> guy liner that he's wearing. And then we get, this, I found this quite interesting, because we got the, the blonde Ozzy Osbourne Chris Jennings, and then we get Tom, which is basically the more sexier, darker-haired Jennings brother coming in as well. So I don't I think know. That, I think Chris Jennings is sexier. The vampire Chris. No. The same actor. Empire's no, no. Tom, right? Chris is yeah, yeah, Tom. Actor. The werewolf I mean, Chris. The same actor, but you got to admit, they look different. A kind of, they like, do. Like, they they look absolutely so. different. But you got, like but you got like the hunkier brother, and then even though they're paid by the same character, and the other one who looked a bit more chubbier for some reason. I like him in his mammal form. And now, so, I will, and now I will tell you. So that I, think, I think what they had to do is, and then and then we have this like this kind of a weird thing about, um, you know, he's dead. They killed him. So right. He comes back, and then he could be crucifixed again. So what was that going on? They killed him twice. The, I thought once the vampire was down and dusted. No, the first time he was staked. The first supposed time he was to cut staked. their heads off in a perfect world and stuff it with garlic, but right. we kind of didn't do that in this one. They, I don't think they want. They would have let that through. Burn the their heart. Don't forget, you rip their heart out and burn it. Yeah, yeah, that's for the, that's for the hammer films so basically, well, that's where I'm drawing stay. my knowledge and from. And Nicholas was able to bring him <laughs> back. See. How did that work? Well, I, uh, what was that? What was that? Wait, yeah, see that last part? I see. Basically, he gets staked. Yes. Right? So that means the stake goes into his heart. Right. But then and then Nicholas is able out. to bring him back with a damaged heart. Well, the heart, the heart apparently heals once yeah. Nicholas pulls the stake out. He's a um, supernatural and critter. The, yeah, and but then this time the Barnabas gets rid of him for good with the two candlesticks. Uh, but I, but there wasn't really that much of a fight the way there was the first time. Or anything, did it? I know it was kind of lame <laughs> with the candlesticks. <laughs> what is that? You stick together and you're fine. You can kill off any vampire. I know. He goes. I've lived yeah, through this let's... torment too. It'll be over soon. It's like fuck. I... You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved. I would have loved a, a Jewish mug and David if one of yeah. them pulled out the mug of the Star of David, just oh, like in the famous vampire killers. Yeah. Oh boy, have you got the wrong vampire? That yeah. was from- <laughs> <laughs> okay, um- so, so now what I, I mean, I have to then say that with the Diablos 
the storyline. I love, I actually love the way this is filmed. I love the way it looked. I, I do too. It. Yeah. I, I really, oh my God. I was mesmerized by this when I seen it for the first time. I remember getting like chills. It was and so being atmospheric. Just, like, it really was. Fascinated. I'm like, it, it was weird though, and because set, I haven't seen anything that like, light mesmerizing. And this is like, this is like limited options. And it's somehow more mesmerizing than anything Hollywood could cook up for anything like this, you know, well, this which is, is crazy. It was, a lot, it was just a lot of fun, really. I could doubt with Diablos having his own spinoff series. I would have loved that more <laughs> expansion of this. Like, I would have loved to see Angelique go into hell a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, that was. I know. Cool well, at first he was going to destroy her. Just don't destroy me. You know what else I like as well? When Nicholas, we finally see Nicholas's weak point when he goes to this as well. And we see Nicholas shudder and his cowl behind and like this huge man with this great big personality being, you know, basically swatted down like a little yep. fly. And, and and I love how Diablos just bitch slaps him all the way through. It's just like, you know, you will do as I say. Don't you back, you know, don't you back off me and basically lifting up his armor and just slap him across the face. And I had to sit there and say that was fantastic. And I love the voice Pablo as well because it had like that verb ver- um, reverb on it as well so when he spoke it kind of like had this yeah. like, like echo to it and very haunting yeah, and I have to sit there and say that this was for me this was the highlight of this block when they went there it's just like I was all in and out of out of every interpretation of the devil on like screen I think this is probably my favorite because it's so subtle yet it's it makes such a powerful statement somehow. And mm-hmm. every other thing that I've seen, like even at Salem or like Sabrina, where they really try to make him the front and center character, you, you'll, they always fall flat. But somehow this one just, I don't know, it just has such a powerful effect. I don't know how to explain it, but it, it really is fascinating to me. I have to agree. And I also like, you know, another thing I think what I do like about it, it gives me a nod to the old-fashioned Christmas Carol death as well. Yes, yes. And the hooded look, and you don't see his face, and there's, like, and and I always find that because you don't see his face, it even makes it even, it gives you more of an impact as well. Sort of the ghost yeah. of Christmas future, wasn't he? Yeah. It was a kind of enigma. I like that they don't remove the um, the enigma and or the, you know, the, ma- the mask or whatever. He just kind of remains, like, this mysterious figure the whole time and maybe maybe that's why you know villains um of all kinds lose their appeal it's kind of like when you reveal the mysteries and the stories of like you know those supernatural like serial killers um when you know what they are their backstory they kind of lose their appeal i guess they lose that kind of it's the, it's the wizard of Oz. You know, it's the Wizard yeah, of Oz. Exactly. It's like the Wizard of Oz, when you watch the Wizard of Oz, is like the Great Mighty Oz, and he's fantastic. Right. And then when they pull back the curtain, you find out who he is. It's it's just not that impressive. Yeah. Anymore. Right. Exactly. It's kind of that that kind of whole feeling. Now we also get Maggie in the black mask, so um, so that they may be together. Um, How is she going to be together with him if her spirit is going into Eve? <laughs> right um, it makes no sense i mean yeah yeah I, I mean this is kind of this kind of thing that it's like 
You know, well, I always think mar- of these things. I'm, I know it's, it's just a show. Well, it's, mar- it's marital right, basically, isn't it? So basically, if you don't have me, basically, yeah. I'll have you in the netherworld. So basically, I'm going to, you know, basically, I'll kill you to have you. It's sort of like Persephone and Hades, you know? Exactly. Yeah. But even though Persephone's always gets a chance to go once Come back up every six up, months. Up, up, up onto the face of the earth and have a normal life before she goes back down. Sort of right, right. I don't think Maggie's going to have that option. I don't know about you guys, but... but my favorite part of these was, was Eve's skeleton. They recycle that skeleton as much as possible. That's at the, oh, end. No. That's at the end, though, I think. <laughs> it is and, the end. I they, they just like right blue a wig on it or something. The wig. Yeah. And now then you notice it was a brown wig. It wasn't. She's got. It wasn't red. Hair. It wasn't like her her beautiful wasn't, flaming hair. Right. It know? was a. It was mousy brown. Yeah. And saying, boy, they, they lost Clairol when she basically. Out. I think they were trying to capture the whole black they had Sunday the dream curse, basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the probably. Curse. The dream curse is back. <laughs> Was that a female skeleton or a male skeleton, by the way, Keith? Do you remember? I actually didn't take that close of a look this time around. I I would have thought it was a male skeleton. Once I saw it, I was like, oh my God. It's like this thing looks more and more plastic every time we see it. (laughs) If if it was a male skeleton, it would have been a skeleton in drag. Precisely, which would be very nice. (laughs) You're very today, actually. Very forward thinking. <laughs> now our final block of episodes will include Amy Jebbing. Jennings has finally come out to the scene where right. we her, played by yeah. Denise Nickerson. Is glad when her brother Chris decides to stay in Collinsport. Barnabas tries to prevent the new experiment to bring E back to life, and Adam kidnaps Victoria and attempts to conduct the experiment himself. Right. Right. But also, oh. remember, also, I don't know whether it was the last block or this block. But I'm going to bring up Conrad Bain again as the first victim that's of the werewolf in this block here. Right. Oh, that's it. right. What else was he in? That was driving me nuts. He was the different first strokes. Huh? Different strokes. Oh, okay. Yeah, different, okay. That was making strokes, me crazy. Yeah. I know this actor. I could not get his name. He, he oh, really, he really hit his stride. With the beat of just one girl. <laughs> 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 But Conrad Bates, as um, as Tom was pointing out, basically he was the innkeeper that we saw in the early days. So they yes. right. Yes, and then they wrote him, and he went on to other things. And they needed the, the story is that they needed some they needed somebody to kill off as a first victim, and they they didn't know who they were going to get another doxy. And then somebody thought of him, and they called him up and they said, "Hey, listen, it's a one day walk on role. What do you think? You're never going to you, you know we'll we'll kill we'll kill your character off, and you'll never." And he said, "Sure." And uh, that's how that's the only time we see him in color, uh, his character in color. And you got a nice little you have a nice little scene of, oh, my God, what a makeup job as as he's being dragged on the floor uh, by the werewolf. And and his eyes, uh, they they put this red crap over his eyes and and they they really look like somebody plucked his eyes out. Uh, which reminds me of the man with the x-ray eyes again. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but it was, um, that, of course, is a uh, is an anomaly. And then, of course, Denise Nickerson. And the original name for Amy was Molly. And if you remember, the first time she's mentioned, Joe and Chris are talking, and they talk about Chris's sister, Molly. They decided I, that Molly was not a good name, and so the next thing you know, she automatically changed to Amy uh, when when he met her at Wincliffe. 
And uh, but it's now, what's a, he doing at Wincliffe? What's he doing at an insane asylum? She was put there by Julia in order so that she could be watched when Tom died. In other words, she was apparently the story is she was apparently living with Tom, and when Tom died, there was there was nobody else. And Chris, in the meantime, couldn't be found because he always moves around. This is the Lon, this is the Lon Chaney uh, aspect, you know, uh, just like uh, Larry Talbot in the werewolf movies was always moving around. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't find him. So Julia apparently took it upon herself to take her up to Wincliffe and care for her there because she was experiencing a great deal of trauma when Tom died and also had a lot of hostile feelings towards Chris, which she felt abandoned him. So that, I think, is what that's about. And she does a nice job of looking, although not too much of a job. She does a nice job, though, of looking at the fish tank. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I'll have to go and say, though, um, you see, you're going to see, I mean, you see a hint of it, but when we go further into it, she's a good little actress. Yes, she is. Yeah. She's a what actor? A good little actress. Yes, she is. Oh, I think she kind of rivals Hennessy. Uh, in terms of some of their scenes, they they kind of compete with each other. In a well, way. especially when you see them later on down the road, which we won't get into. But they really right. have quite interact. They've got lots of great interaction between the two. Certainly of them. is. Certainly, they is. have they have yeah. they interact really well together. I think they have, they have a really good dynamic and a good chemistry. But I do have to question sticking a how old she supposed to be? 12, 13, 11, 11, 11, 11, 12, whatever. Just like an 11 year old girl into an adult insane asylum is probably a bit worse. Maybe they had a children's wing. But then again, they, they always I mean, have children. But she does yeah. have a brother who decides to lock himself in a hotel room for when he changes. Don't come in no matter what you hear. Right? At least it wasn't the presidential suite. He was yeah. smart enough to say, listen, <laughs> don't put me into room. the finest room you ever had. Get you're not going to have a room. <laughs> we do kind of wonder, you know, when all that's going on and he's changing, I sure hope that hotel's empty because there's going to be a plenty of guests that are going to be very unhappy with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. He's you just know, tearing it up. I thought, I just kinda... I thought this place had a no dogs policy. <laughs> You know, there's so much material in this later block, and I feel like it gets largely ignored as far as having good aspects. Like, for example, if you were to take a lot of these ideas and put them in a movie as a kind of reboot of Dark Shadows, a lot of these could actually be very well, would be very well introduced in the very, very beginning of something to add more depth these Collins are all transitional Port. episodes, don't you think, Jess? Yeah, but th- there, there is also a lot of um, soft reboot stuff going on alongside it. So if you were to remove all of the sideline stuff that they're trying to tie up, like um, Don Briscoe's character interacting with Carolyn is very reminiscent of Joe. Also, like, kind of reminds me of Fred from Scooby-Doo. But, like, if you're not looking at the screen and you're listening to him talk with Carolyn, I, I could swear I it was Joe later, talking though. with him. I think that's later. Oh, though. is that yeah. not? No. Okay. No. Well, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. I mean, this this basically ends with basically we got. I mean, this is quite. I mean, this is quite a good little cliffhanger that we got. That Adam's kidnapped Victoria. She's on the table. He's turning the knobs and everything, and everyone's not locked outside, and they're trying to get in. I got it. Like, yeah. And Victoria's life. I was going to say that that what was quite good the way this block ends is that Victoria, for the first time, actually feels like she's in danger. I mean, you, you, you can feel the danger this time around. I mean, there's been plenty of times when she's been kidnapped and whatever and locked into a room somewhere. But this is probably the first time I actually felt that Victoria was in danger. 
um, her character. Yeah. And I think we need to mention Betsy Durkin. Durkin. Betsy Durkin, who's still around. She's still alive. Yes, she is. Yeah. She's done quite a bit, actually. She's she was on 10 episodes of Shadows, and she has gone through some of the conventions, a couple of the conventions. Yeah, so I do wonder why, but I do. I mean, the thing is, is it'd be quite interesting to see what she, I mean, you know, we're going to get her a little bit more before she disappears for good. Right. Right. You're saying she didn't do any right. episodes. But you kind of wonder why, you know, she's only going to be in on 10 episodes. It's kind of wondering why Angela. Uh, because they really, I think, wanted to get rid of the, of the character. And, of course, that's going to be later. I'm just saying, if they, the character's going, why not? They wanted to get rid of both Jeff and Vicky. Yeah. Between her and the sheriff, I think they're the most replaced actor character, if that makes sense. Uh, no, I think the sheriff is replaced by more actors. I know. He seems to be totally yeah, replaced. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but mean, if he's they, the first, then she's a close second, I think. So I can't... I, off the top of my head, I can't think of other actors that have portrayed characters more than those two. Because she's played by three characters, I think. Oh, Carolyn's been played by two, and the sheriff has been played by how many? Maybe four? Well, the fourth or something. now, I think. Well, Carolyn, yeah. is only, Carolyn only once uh, yeah. by... Uh, oh, yeah, that, that's what I meant. By Diana yeah, Walker. Uh, yeah. But... Uh, Vicky and, and the reason they picked Betsy Durkin, by the way, was because they thought that she vocally she sounded a lot like Alexandra Moltke. Like who, Tom? Like she vocally she sounded like Alexandra Moltke. Uh, Vicky. I thought she, she did. Like yeah, first Vicky. yeah I, I guess I could see that. Yeah. You know what I liked about her though? Um, I liked her nervous energy. There's a nervous I, energy. I enjoyed her performance. Like fidgeting and stuff like this. And I quite thought that actually fit the character quite well, actually. It would have been interesting what you know, I mean, you know, we'll be saying goodbye in the next block to her, but um, right. But it was quite, a sh- it's a shame that you know, I enjoyed her performance. <laughs> I really like her. I think she was believable. I think she was very believable. I, and and you know, I wouldn't have minded if they kept her on as a different character too, because they introduced a yeah, lot of really good actors on here. And um, even if she didn't play Vicky, it would be interesting to see her play I, I something agree with else. You. I agree with you. She certainly gave more meat to the role because Alexandra Mulkey once again was not in it. Uh, her head was not in it uh, towards the end, but now Betsy Durkin comes on and she gave it all she had, and and I think that was, I, and I think she knew she had to do that because perhaps she wanted the gig where she would. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe she's like fighting. If I do a good enough job, they'll yeah. keep me, they'll keep me written in, sort of thing. But it does seem kind of weird that Alexander Moki just didn't finish the run. That's all, you know, for ten ten more episodes and she would have finished the run. You know what I mean? Ten more days of shooting. I said before, she left when she was two months pregnant. So it just seems weird that they replaced, you know, that one day, if they're going to write her off anyway, you want to just keep her there. Listen, they, listen Were Alexander, there complications? You got, you, got, you got 10 more episodes, you just stay on, and then, you know, and then you'll be gone, you know. Sort of Were there complications in her pregnancy, or was she's that only someone else? pregnant, so she's having complications. No. Oh, no, no. Well, we can't, we can't forget, though, how we ended, though. We had, uh, we had Adam's last stand. You know, he wants to go out with a hail of bullets Glad or something. You trying that. to electrocute Victoria or Vicky I, Winters, however you want to call it. Uh-huh. Which that thought, that didn't make sense to me because I feel like with him going down as heavy as he is, because he's this big tall creature, no his hand would have brought it down. So Barnabas made a huge risk like in doing that right then and there. Well he knew he was know. doing it, but he want but he was but he but he <clears throat> did not want Vicky. 
to that. But I think I really my hat goes up to Robert Rodin. May rest in peace. Yeah, he was, did fantastic. I thought that it, he really did a good job. He did uh, down in that basement. Uh, and isn't it interesting? Uh, now there's a real takeoff that the original Frankenstein story never had, where the monster is now flipping all the switches. And, and is uh, he flipping switches? Oh my God! He's just like he's a madman, <laughs> spinning dials and pulling levers. He's doing all levers and, and gleefully and gleefully laughing. I, my revenge, my revenge. I know he lost his yeah, shit. Kind of, he lost it completely. <laughs> he lost it well when he. When Imagine he, if Julia was on that table, though. Oh boy, did he miss a trick? Yeah. When, uh, when he did when he did that, <laughs> but uh, and and even he goes after Julia at one point, and uh, he she's strangles like, everybody in this block. He, he goes, everybody he, gets and strangled, he, and he lunges, and you see the camera, and he lunges, and then you hear the famous doorbell scream. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is it with this pose? Everybody does this. Nicholas uh, does it. Yeah. I had to. Say, I think but, only Nicholas can pull it off. Really, it, it's very witchy looking. So I think if you're a witch, you can pull it off more easily. But I don't know. I don't. I mean, we, yeah, I don't know. We do get the. Well, we do get the whole Barnabas thing that um, that I thought was quite interesting, where he says, "I rather." When he asks about Victoria, he goes, oh, "You know, Victoria's. You know, I, you know, he loves Victoria and stuff like that." And he goes, "I rather have her happy. I rather have her happy with someone else than unhappy with me." I thought that was quite yeah. a nice thing for him to say. I mean, that's, it kind of tells you everything there that why he's supportive of Victoria and Jeff's wedding that's coming up. Why, you know, and that, and the reason why he's not pursuing her, because before all Barnabas would have pursued her no matter what. If you got in Barnabas's way, you were dead or you got rid of Basically. Her. It but also shows a lot how much of, Barnabas' character has grown. He's no longer the selfish. Exactly. No, it it shows a Definitely lot. Is matured. Definitely. Character is matured. growth. I don't feel like they have a lot of character growth on this show. And that might be a little mm, ignorant of me to say, but I don't feel like they focus on that element. They're always focusing on other things that they don't have a lot of character development, but for his character, especially the one here. Ex- yeah, the one exception to that might be Carolyn in that. When true. She's thrust into That's the true. role. Yeah. Of uh, when Liz is away, uh, either at Wincliffe or uh, going on vacation to Cannes, uh, and Carolyn is now the head of the house. She takes on a much more right. Mm-hmm. She takes on a much more mature role and a much more commanding role as the matriarch, or perhaps the future matriarch of Collinwood. And so, uh, but I agree that other I, than I that, think da- I think David's character has growth as well. No, no, that that's true too. Yeah, mm-hmm. David's character. have growth. Where I think the older characters are set in their ways. Maybe He's that's no longer a monster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Roger's character hasn't grown too much. I think maybe in slight ways he has, but like Carolyn, even like with, with Nancy Barrett, even her character, her actor acting abilities have changed from like season one, episode one, from like now. She like be increased and you're throughout the series. It's a really, really good actress, and yeah, her character yeah. also has. Nancy Barrett has gone and will have gone on to portray a number of roles, a real linchpin of the show, different roles where she highlights her acting ability mm-hmm. in different times and so forth. And it's quite an interesting thing. It's quite an interesting thing to see. But I think other than those, I do think that there's the Collinwood has always unfortunately been arrested development. 
because uh, if they the, the the more they come in touch with the real world, the more blasé dark shadows is going to be. So they had to keep them at a certain level. They had, I think, they had to keep the distrust up, the uh, you know, the suspense, the you know, the pathos, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do see, but but I do I agree with Cliff. A real a real cliffhanger where Barnabas shoots and you actually see smoke coming out of the gun this time. So they did it right. Uh, because in other episodes they'll shoot and you don't see anything come out of the gun. Uh, so they did it right. And, and, and he, and, and, and he crumples, you know, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but, but you know, something he really, he, that, that was a kind of a, that was kind of a, I don't know, uh, a letdown because, Hypothetically, in falling, Adam could have pulled both switches. He could have pulled both switches instead of one and not the other. Yeah, he took, and then when he gets shot in the back or whatever, I thought it was yeah. the shoulder, but yeah. he's hanging on to it. I mean, if I'm, I would have pulled that sucker. I don't care. Yeah, uh-huh. even, even by accident, even yeah, by accident, I mean, just to try to hold yourself up. Well, let me let's put it this way: we know that John, we know that Barnabas is not a good shot. I mean. He pretty much had Angelique at close blank range and basically only got her in the shoulder. So, right. so we know he's not very good. But that's a good gun. point. That's and a good point. You don't know how to shoot a gun. <laughs> it's like, Except when I, he, we're quite, I mean, we're quite lucky they even got Adam because we've seen the way he shoots in the past. Even when he shoots Jeremiah, uh, you know, uh, what true. was true. Barnabas had a gun a lot of lot in his life, but he's not good shooter. Wasn't he in the military too? <laughs> Well, they all fought in the Revolutionary War, supposedly. Exactly. Right? He must not. Have, he must uh, not. Have I don't think. I don't think. Bar- 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 oh, he was young. He was too young. He was a kid back then. Oh, he was supposed yeah. to be five, right? Yeah, and he had a little <laughs> Revolutionary War soldier toy. That's, oh, uh, that's right. I forgot all about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, another so thing is that Barnabas, he was a money anyway, so he probably wouldn't have fought anyway. And right, the hunt, right. the hunting, he probably wouldn't go hunting anyway. The servants would be the hunting for the food anyway. So. Poor Barnabas. Our least favorite characters of this block. So, starting with you, Jesse, who's your favorite character of this block and your least favorite character of this block? Oh, this is so hard because there's so many characters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, geez. Hmm, I, I will say, I think my favorite characters, I'm going to list a couple just because there's so many. Um, I really like Marie Wallace. I don't think they always introduce characters that I end up really liking that become like a staple to the show, but Marie Wallace definitely is one of those. So I have to say I like her. Um, I do like Don Briscoe too, for the same reason. Um, I really like, he, he just kind of fit right in as if you know, he's been there since day one. That quick. Yeah. But he does come back. So, I mean, uh, and then who many else? Times, um, many times. And then um, who else? Amy Jennings. No, uh, Amy Jennings. You don't see enough yeah. of her in this block. You just see her once. Just that okay. one time. Yeah, okay, I won't, will I won't say her more. then, but these characters definitely, just because they're newcomers, I have to mention them, and they, they just fit so well on the show. I agree um, with that. Yeah. 
and even though I didn't like the dynamic with Eve um, and um, what's his name, uh, with Jeff Clark, it, it did show off more of her and not just as evil Eve. She was, you know, she had more facets that she was um, kind of giving out to everybody. So it was nice to see those, I guess. And um, my least favorite, I'll just say Jeff Clark. <laughs> Or Jeff Clark. It's not Roger. It's not Roger Davis's fault. It's It's not Roger Davis's fault. No, it isn't. It's the writers. It's the writers. Exactly. And 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 also, Roger was under tremendous amount of pressure between his night job and having to memorize scripts in the morning. It's no wonder. But the writers really made a. The writers really made an immature. Uh, idiot out of uh, out of Jeff Clark, yeah. And I think it was you know, but but once again, um, well, anyway, it's it's not. I, right. I'll I'll talk when when he when Keith asks me. Go ahead. And Vix, your turn. Favorite character and least favorite. Character. Favorite character. I'm gonna have to say they were all really strong. We all agree. I think that it was a really strong, cohesive block. Yeah, um, definitely. Yep. I love Julia all throughout this. She just reminds me of Felix a cat with that <laughs> medical bag of hers. She's got just about every like drug, trick. and she's got every knowledge about how to how to resuscitate or resurrect the dead. She's got a sedative for everybody. You know, she's she she's like a jack of all trades. She could she could she can uh, she she cure can pretty much diagnose and cure anything or she's got an idea you know i just i just love her her facial expressions and how dramatic she gets just, i've always loved julia so she's just a mm-hmm. badass in this and it's kind <laughs> of hard to really dislike any characters in this because we're getting oh, new know, characters and we're losing characters yeah, I got one. I got one. but gosh i would have to say roger only because he isn't in there enough for me I really miss Louis Edmonds being in here a lot. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, that I'm more mad at the writers for that than anything else because mm-hmm. he's like he's like a treasure in the show. I mean, I miss his one liners. Remember the black and whites? I mean, I just yeah. I just couldn't stop <laughs> laughing at him. He just he's just he's just great at one liners. And I always think of him fondly when I see him on all my children back in the day. But I mean, I I enjoyed everybody in this. So it's kind of hard to not like anybody, but as far That's as true. not being happy, it's because Roger just didn't have enough lines. But other than that, strong, strong block. Transitional block, I guess you might say. What about yourself, Tom? Well, I'll tell you uh, right away. I, be- I The best one, and I want to give Robert Rodan a lot of credit. Because oh, this yes. is really the last block that he's going to be in. And, you know, he did a, he did a damn good job. Uh, especially at the end. He really, I love it when he's in the basement flipping the switches, uh, as I said before. And, uh, and, and, it is, and it is a great takeoff that finally they deviated from the original legend and they have Frankenstein, they have the monster manipulating the controls himself. Um, also, in terms of honorable mention, I want to give Tom Gorman a shout out. Uh, for 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 getting all of his lines right except for Gloria Winters, uh, during that one time he was uh, here in the block. Now for the least, I got somebody, Craig Slocum. Craig Slocum comes back as Harry Johnson for an episode, and once again he's the heavy for Nicholas, and doesn't really uh, do too you know doesn't really do too much. He's uh, he's more like the furniture, and I think what <laughs> he digs up the he, he digs up the body. 
He digs up the uh, the he, dig, he digs up Eve's body. Was it Eve's body that he digs up? I think uh, something like that. Yeah. Um, so uh, they had to do. They had to find something for him to do. And uh, Dan Curtis must have loved him because I don't know how anybody else can. May he rest in peace. Uh, yeah. But he really does not uh, come across as a strong character. Uh, you know, and, and, and so those are my picks. Um, my favorite character, I'm going to go with the double team of Angelique and Eve. I love those two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would like to have more of Eve. Unfortunately, I don't yeah. think that the character was as developed as I would like to, but yeah, yeah. thank yeah. God they hired someone like Marie Wallace who had such a presence about her that basically her presence had to carry through the story. And she's other stunningly than, beautiful. Than She'll too. be back. She'll be back. Yep. Um, and then also, um, but my least favorite, uh, actually, actually, my actually my my other favorite character, Diablo, Diablos. I, <laughs> I forgot him. about him. I, I, I could watch him in every single episode. I think that he should be like just walking. I think that he should be in every episode of Dark Shadows and just Prepare walking around the background, judgment. not having anything to say, just walking behind the scene. <laughs> oh look, it's Diablo. Prepare but, um, for I, I judgment. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved him. So my yeah, least great. favorite. Um, yeah, again, um, I have to go with Jeff Clark, and it's not the actor. It's basically it's just I'm really having a hard time feeling anything for him. And this is the act. This is not the actor's fault. It's the. You think they kind of dry toasted his part? Well, I just think that get rid of him. he needs get a, get he him. needs some balls. I mean, he actually needs. To man up here at some right. point, and they don't, and basically, there's no manning up. And because Victoria's always needed someone who with Victoria's always needed someone to protect her, and that's her whole character, someone to protect her. And when you got her actually protecting the male character all the time, and, and that it, it, it's kind of hard to see how this yeah. relationship's going to work. And and also, you know, what we you know, in this block sort of thing is just kind of like. I don't know. He goes to dig up Peter Bradford's grave, and he knows that grave's been there for how long. And he's digging it up. And it's just, it's just the way some of the writing is with him, and that's, and that makes him my least favorite character, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's on the way out because I don't think the writers like that character either, and so he is on the way out. And uh, but they always want to bring Roger back. Uh, Dan Curtis loved him, and uh, you will see Roger Davis back. Uh, yep. Even and. And, and 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 hey, you think Tom Jennings is dead? Uh, for those who are diehard fans, he appears once more. Yes. Stay tuned to find out. Hard to kill. Stay tuned to find out. Well, this brings us back to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Next month, we'll be covering, we'll be doubling up our episodes, and we'll be covering episodes 637 to 680. And we'll be using this new format. Our new format will be a lot tighter, I promise you. So thanks for bearing with us this time around, because we are feeling ourselves around this way, and we promise you a lot more um, for Season 5. This, of course, is the end of Season 4 for Dark Shadows as we enter Season 5. And our next episode, we've gone from classic novels to the Kings of Horror, which will be The Dead Zone by Stephen King and the film by David Cronenberg, which is Dead Zone from 1983. 
Of course, Bewitched will be continuing. We'll be doubling up our episodes there. There'll be eight episodes instead of the normal four. And of course, we'll be going from our two from one from Nature versus Men. This will now be the 80s. We're discovering everything that's tubular and rad with the 1980s horror films with our two first films of David Cronenberg's being Scanners from 1981 and Videodrome from 1983. And I said before, of course, we'll be doubling up our episodes for Dark Shadows. We'll be doing two months of episodes in a one one um, block of episodes for Literary Legends podcast. And of course, they, as I said the day before, will be episode 637 to 680. So it's good night for myself and good night, Vicky. Good night, everybody. Take care of each other. Good night, Jesse. Have a good night, folks. Good night, Tom. Thanks. And by the way, uh, just came out last week, everybody. Dark Shadows Reincarnation. They're still trying to plug it. And uh, Mark Perry, I think his name, who is the uh, writer uh, and the chief head honcho there, was interviewed. And uh, look for the, look for the article about it because he revealed some plot elements. And crossed. we'll probably talk about that more next time. And next week, um, next time we do Dark Shadows, Mary O'Leary will be joining us and talking about her Jonathan Frid documentary. Yeah, that's Yay. great. Yeah, that's great. And we'll that. see you next week with our new co-hosts, um, David Grant and Craig Johnson, joining us for our Literary Lessons podcast with Dead Zone by Stephen King and Dead Zone by David Cronenberg. Good night, everyone. Night.